You read the Bible, Rick. You talking to me? I'm a law Keep up. Wait, wait, let me let me explain something to you. Uh, I am not Mr. Lebowski. You're Mr. Lebowski. I'm the dude. I don't know how to put this, but I'm kind of a big deal. Well, there's Jesus freaking. I got a bad feeling about this. King Kong ain't got shit on me! Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Each and every man under my command owes me 100 natural scouts. <laughs> Start see pictures, eh? Oh, wow. Thank you for that. Hello and welcome to the Film and Loathing podcast for Monday, June 8th, 2020. This is episode number 75, and I'm Jake. I'm Chris. And I'm Chris. Coming up this week, we've got an episode that I've kind of been looking forward to for a couple weeks now. We'll be talking about The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, and The Scorpion King. Things, I think, are big parts of our childhoods, right? Oh, heck yeah. And after watching it, the Scorpion King doesn't belong in this conversation at all. <laughs> it doesn't have to do with it. Yeah, so perhaps there won't be the versus the Scorpion King podcast. No, it's still going to happen. Oh, we're still going to do it? Okay, just everything will beat it. <laughs> just be opposite of what we thought the outcome was going to be. Oh, gosh. You know, I'm really looking forward to, t- to getting into this because... I really do not understand the connection between the Scorpion King and the other t- the other movies. But there's no connection besides Dwayne the Rock Johnson. It doesn't make sense that like you would tell us his origin in the Mummy Returns and then also feel the need to give us an origin movie that is completely different from his origin in the Mummy Returns. <laughs> See, like the thing is, is that like it could connect, but my thing is they made him a bad guy in The Mummy Returns, and they made him this really good guy in The Scorpion King? Yeah, I'm really curious Uh what happened. I'm really curious what happened where he goes from the savior of this world to then wanting to conquer it. It seems like the movie in between The Scorpion King and The Mummy Returns would be the most interesting one, but that's not the one we got. They came out with the Scorpion King 2, but it had a completely different guy in it. I think they're up to, like, the Scorpion King 5. And they've still yet to tie it in. So there's a lot... Wow, this is a lot of backstory to get there. Scorpion King <laughs> thing just becomes, like... Episode. This is a really intricate... The Scorpion King uh, just becomes, like, this uh, superhero identity that the next generation has to take on, like Batman. Just like Batman. What? Say that again. Hold on. Randy Couture is in Scorpion King 2. That's who plays the Scorpion King? I think so. Oh, and there's a third one. You weren't kidding when you said it goes up to five. Are there any of the Scorpion Kings that explain how he became a Scorpion? I have no idea, but listen to this. In the third one, (laughs) we have Dave Bautista. Ron Perlman and Kimbo Slice. (laughs) Shut up, for real? Kimbo Slice, yeah, he plays a guy named Zulu Kondo. That's That's amazing. Oh my god, that's amazing. I can't wait to watch it. Is that what we're doing next week? Just like. (laughs) (laughs) So, is there a Scorpion King box set? That's the next question. These are probably all straight to DVD releases. 
Number four has Lou Ferrigno in it. That's amazing. And Antonio Silva. And Barry Bostwick. How do I see all of these? Guys, there is a Scorpion King 5 movie collection for $23.49 from Target. <laughs> there, I could have it Thursday, June 11th from Amazon. That might be worth it. There's only one left in stock, Zach, and I'm going to buy it before you can. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, as long as you put it on the voodoo, I genuinely do not care. As long hey, as I get to see Kimbo uh, Slice. Blu-ray. Oh, it is Blu-ray and digital. Oh, heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot believe that they got Ron Perlman in one of these. I mean, I can, but... You can at like, the same time. I would like to know the plot of these. Okay. Well, like, they go to different guys from the, the second first one to the third one. The very first line of the plot synopsis of Scorpion King 2 is, see how the legend of the Scorpion King began. Isn't that so what Scorpion King 1 is? So they're restarting <laughs> it. So they rebooted it the very next movie for the it's sequel? A, it's a Scorpion King coming of age story. <laughs> so they did a prequel to the prequel's prequel? Holy shit. Scorpion King 3 has Billy Zane in it. <laughs> He's the dickhead from uh, Titanic. Yep. Oh, that's right. Yep. <laughs> Scorpion King 4 has Roy Big Country Nelson. So they just get you. They just get MMA fighters to be in these movies. It looks like it. Which one's Dave Bautista in again? The second, the second one. Second one. Does he play the Scorpion King? I don't think so. It's this guy named like Victor Webster, or no, that's the third one. Who this this, is it? The same Scorpion King in all five movies, or they changed from Scorpion King? His name is always Matthias, so it looks like it. It's the same same character, character, but different actors. Yeah, it's the second like this one. The second one in uh, in the timeline is the first event, then the Scorpion King, I think, and then Scorpion King three and four. And once you get to three and four, they're the same guy. This is this Blu-ray set has eight hours and thirty-four minutes of pure joy on it. <laughs> are there any behind? The, are there any behind the scenes like making of docs? There's commentary tracks. <laughs> it's just people going up to the next guy and being like, "Why?" That's it. Just why. There's deleted scenes and commentaries. Commentary by the by the writers. By the director. That'd they don't give a shit about the writers, do they? So there's just like the commentary. Like yeah, me and my buddy were really fucking wasted one night, and we conceived the Scorpion King four. We pitched it drunk, didn't think anything of it, and we made a movie. When I we met Ron Perlman in a bar and asked if he wanted to be a Scorpion King, he said, "Why not?" In fact, he was drinking a scorpion bowl while he said it. We saw him with a scorpion bowl and we thought, we have a sequel. (laughs) The guy who directed uh, Scorpion King 4 also directed Beethoven's Big Break. 
Now this guy, we gotta do a director episode on this guy. This this is this is the kind of film I want to be in. I'm looking at this guy's filmography, and he's got some great stuff in here. He's got (laughs) he's got The Scorpion King four, Beethoven's Big Break, Death Race three, and Death Race Beyond. And then he's got American Pie Book of Love. He did American Pie Bandcamp and Casper A Spirited Beginning. This guy is in the art of taking recognized franchises and then making the worst one of all the movies. And I want this guy's job. Chris, this the director. The director of The Scorpion King also directed The Blob remake, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. And The Mask, starring Jim Carrey. Shut up, The Mask? Which Scorpion King was that? The first one. Oh, oh, really? Chuck Russell. No kidding. No kidding. Who did the fifth one? A 12-year-old in high school. (laughs) Please tell me. They went to some local high schools like, do you want to be a Hollywood star? Please tell me it was Fred Durst who did the fifth one. Don Michael Paul. Ah. And he did Tremors 5, a second Jughead, a third Jughead, Kindergarten Cop 2. He is in the same wheelhouse of my kind of people. Uh, For a second there, I thought he was going to say he only does fifth installments of franchises. He did Bulletproof 2, Lake Placid, the final chapter. Fuck yeah. He has a new Tremors coming out this year called Tremors, Tremors Island Fury. Okay. He did Taken, The Search for Sophie Parker. Has Did the guy who did Deep Blue Sea 2 do one of the Scorpion King movies? <laughs> That's a very good question. I'm in on this guy, if I'm being honest. Buying stock? Yeah, I am. Listen, Tremors Island Fury is going to be a hit. I'm calling it right now. Is it? Does it? I'm guessing it takes place on an island, a tropical wow. island, maybe. That would be cool. Wait, 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 what are they calling this? Is an upcoming American direct-to-video monster film. Mm-hmm. Who's in this? Is Tara Reid in it? John Heater is in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And Richard Brake. He's come a long way since Napoleon Dynamite. Jeez. <laughs> and the bench warmers. <laughs> Both absolute classics, by the way. Maybe that's what I should do. I should suggest that he only watch John Heater movies so that we eventually get to Tremors Tropical Island. <laughs> I think you should recommend that he watch <laughs> The Scorpion King. <laughs> Gosh darn it. I like this. This guy's the man. He has the career I want. <laughs> Just doing fourth and fifth installments of franchises. No pressure. Everyone expects it to be absolutely <laughs> horrible, but he keeps, not wrong making, there. keeps making money. It's like you're making these movies for all of 12 people. <laughs> We're going to watch them on sci-fi like, on a Sunday you, afternoon. How do you think the money for these get like, – like, where do you think this money comes from? Do you think just people are just paying out of their own pockets to have it made? If you can get WWE stars on board, like there's got to be some money in it. Like you think the WWE funds it? 
Maybe. Like, do you think the UFC was a sponsor for Scorpion King 3? No, they wouldn't. No? They don't brandish themselves in that those type of ways. Yeah, okay. Oh, gosh. Well, good stuff. Well, speaking of the Scorpion King, do you guys just want to talk? The Scorpion King started off? We're not going to go chronologically. Save the Scorpion King last. Now nah, let's just go for it. We've been on it. That's a perfect segue. All right. Um, Time-wise, it did come first, technically. Yeah, let's go lineage. Let's go by lineage. We'll follow the we'll follow the Scorpion King all the way through. <laughs> Start starting so we'll with start young with, Matthias working yes, his way to half scorpion centaur style <laughs> Matthias. Precisely. Um. So yeah. No, we should guys- start with. Full, like, the Scorpion King as a man, and then the Scorpion King as a video game character. He transitions from real-life person to full CGI. This is true. So we're going to start right with the man, Matthias. So what did you guys think of the Scorpion King? How long has it been since you've seen it? Oh, God. At least 12 years. It's been a lot, yeah. I could probably say around that time too. This is a, so I think the only time like I really sat down and actually watched it, I was probably a young teen. But all throughout high school and probably college, if this was on TNT or something, I'm watching. Chris, you're a Jeepers Creepers guy. I'm a Scorpion King on TNT guy. <laughs> Dude, it's such a good movie. My mom one year she bought Wait, all Jeepers Creepers or this. Well, both. If I'm being honest, <laughs> she bought. She bought the the Mummy and the Mummy Returns, and then she bought the Scorpion King all in a three disc box set. And I watched the Scorpion King so many times because <laughs> she would ha- just keep it. She had uh, we had our Xbox, and she had our DVD player, and she would leave the Scorpion King inside of her DVD player so she could throw it on in the morning. And I've seen the entirety of the Scorpion King probably more than any other movie besides the Mummy. I had forgotten how much cheese is in that movie. Oh my gosh. I've come for the woman. And your head. <laughs> I freaking love it though. Like it's re- like it's really bad. This this the Scorpion King is really bad. But <laughs> like it's it's probably one of the worst movies I think well, we've ever reviewed if Scorpion, I'm being honest. Where the Scorpion King shines is in No, that's not true. We we reviewed uh Black Mirror Bandersnatch. I stand by what I said. And the uh, what's that? What's that one where when people look at something they kill themselves? Bird oh, Box. Bird Box. We watched. We reviewed that too. So. In the that same was... show. <laughs> Fuck. That's right. <laughs> what a stinker. That was a, that was a bad episode. Um, the 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 beauty of the Scorpion King lies in its runtime. What was it like? Ninety six minutes. It's like 92 minutes. If you can turn this up to be an hour, then we're talking. Just like an episode on TV. Just an individual episode. Zach, what would you cut? There's a lot of character <clears throat> that's really needed. It's just like... Okay, so I think... I don't want to overhype what I will give it as a star rating, but I do think... The Scorpion King is a very important cultural artifact. <laughs> <in> the t- <laughs> what the fuck? 
<laughs> you can't mean that. In the sense that, like, this is what Dwayne The Rock Johnson was before he was a star. Like, That's true. I can't even begin to explain how utterly terrible he is in this movie. Like, he's so bad. He has absolutely... Like, it's... If you had told me... If you had showed me a scene from, let's say, uh, the game plan, and then a scene from the Scorpion King, I'd be like, yo, those guys look a lot alike, but there's no way they're the same guy. Because, like... (laughs) He has none of the charm and charisma that he has today. And I just, I want to know what happened, where he got it. Like, I want to know what happened. They forced him to wear a wig in this one. Noticeably, too. It's so bad. It's horrible. Do they, like, do you guys happen to notice some, like, weird moments where his body seemed CG'd to, like, make him look more muscular? I would say oiled up, if anything. Like, there were points in times where I'm just, like, this dude is shiny. I don't know. I'm not going to rewatch it again to find this, but I'm positive that there are moments where his body does, doesn't look – like it looks unnatural from like a CG or something. It's the beginning symptoms of him transitioning into the CGI monster. He becomes <laughs> – Actually, I never considered that. Maybe that's what it is. Yeah, they're you just – talk unnatural. The way that like – the sorceress dresses in this movie is like it's so impractical like no one ever dressed like that in the actual movie when she was out in the desert with uh matthias uh when she was out in the desert with matthias it was just like a a very different borat swimsuit like (laughs) she's like it's, it's literally like so not not to mention like a, this is like 1400 BC or whatever, and she has perfectly sculpted eyebrows and makeup. <laughs> She's also wearing, like this thing where like the sides of it are like cut off, and it's like, what the fuck? Like, this has literally no purpose. Like that would not exist. This is, I don't, I can't buy this for a second. Plus, like, none him, of them ever look dirty. Like, they're, they're walking around the desert. You know, they've gotten into fights, and yet you see no dirt on their legs, their face, their arms. They were in a sandstorm, and they get out of the sandstorm, and it looks like they just got out of the shower. That makes no sense. <laughs> like, also, like, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and this woman have no chemistry. Oh, it's terrible. I love... He is an amazing. He is really, really good, Matthias, at setting traps. You see how quickly he rigged that cave up during the <laughs> during the sandstorm. True, he's pretty good. That he managed to get on, He managed to get underneath where they were gonna stand and make quicksand pits, and then he managed to get this this hollowed out wall behind the sand waterfall and take them out. Well, those could have all been there. But the idea that he could climb up somewhere to hitch a rope so that when they t- took his sword, it, like, sucked him up. Oh, that's right. That's pretty good. That's real quick. He's an Acadian, dude. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, yeah, he's Acadian. He just does shit like that. It's no yeah. big deal. Naturally in the rocks. <laughs> Sorry, Matthias' blood. 
<laughs> I like how they make that a big thing, but it ends up playing zero importance at all. Yeah, I do like the I, I like that the one connection that everything is has is like this one throwaway line where the sorceress is like, if he survives this, he'll have the scorpion blood in him forever. <laughs> That's the one connection it's to like, what oh, happens before it. There it is. It's scorpion blood. That's obviously. We see him become this king. Michael Clark Duncan is like, rule well. And then they just walk off. Credits roll. That's it. Like, what the fuck are you doing to me? You're answering none of the questions you made before. Also, like, what is the deal, like, with this king? Like, he, like, they give him, like, some kind of backstory that he's, like, this great warrior. But also, like, everyone also hates him. So, like, he's just, like, such a prototypical villain. And it's, like, the only reason we have to hate him is because we're told we're supposed to. Yeah. No, you nailed it. I like his little uh, can-catch-an-arrow thing. It's pretty interesting. I mean, the arrow at the end is coming to him in slow motion, and he still can't catch it. A lot of slow motion in this movie. A <laughs> lot of slow motion. What got what gets me about it, though, is that at the very end of the movie, this guy, this king, he may be a dick, but he's part of their horde. He's the best, you know, you know, fighter out of a lot of them. And then all of a sudden, this random dude comes in and kills him, and then all of a sudden, like, ah, oh, he's our king. Like, this guy, you don't know him. He's a random nobody to you. But because he killed the strongest person, he's now your king? Yeah, what a terrible form of government. He's not He's not <laughs> part of the horde. You've never seen this guy in your life. Help, help, I'm being oppressed. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, like, just the whole idea that Michael Clark Duncan has this entire secret village that needs to be kept secret, but he's also housing, like, 3,000 people. Like, how long do you actually think you can keep that a secret, bud? And then my favorite thing of all is how him, Dwayne Rock Johnson, and Michael Clark Duncan, they fight, they throw each other through walls and wood and table, and they break a bunch of shit. Not one of them bleeds the entire time. Not to the very end. Well, Michael Carter, he's got a little bit of a bloody lip. Just a little bit. I don't really think the action is that good either. No, there's not, I mean, there's not really a lot of action except for just the end storming of the castle. Which is very reminiscent of Troy, I would say. Yeah, except Troy's way better. Like, way better. Fuck, Troy's dope. I want to watch Troy again. I don't think it's that good, but... It's, it's good. <laughs> it's fucking good, dude. I will... Dude, this is, like... You see a lot of bad, but what really sells it for me, which is why this movie is amazing, is that you get Michael Clark Duncan and Blair Johnson. They shake hands. He says, rule well. They look at each other. Everyone's cheering. Fade to black. Cut to badass fucking Nickelback song. And like, this doesn't belong here. Completely out of nowhere. Godsmack. 
Is it Godsmack? Oh yeah, I stand I alone was... by Godsmack on the <laughs> DVD. On the DVD, Godsmack made a music video for the Scorpion King DVD to have in the special features of I Stand Alone. <laughs> isn't there? Isn't there also Limp Biscuit in the soundtrack? Yes. We looked at we looked at the soundtrack last week and it was an absolute hit. It's like, pretty wild. It's like all these like little cues that I can, that I definitely did not like remember. They I'm also like, used oh, like sing. I love the uh, the choice to just we don't care about being period accurate. We're gonna use heavy metal in all these fights. Yeah, it's gonna be badass. Okay, but we're one of the best scenes without a doubt is the movie. I guess the movie is the scene in the beginning part when he storms the tent and launches the triple arrows that launch people out of the tent. Oh, the first thing I noticed. Like, Amazing. First, like, like I could back, like, you know, the whole, like, they have one of his brothers thing. And, you know, there was no problems up until that point. And then all of a sudden he shoots this arrow and this guy goes fucking up in the air, like, 30 feet. Through the roof. He, through the roof. Literally through the roof. And he's still going into the woods. We don't know if he ever stopped. <laughs> okay, so look, I'm then, like, oh, yeah, this is what the movie's like. The other thing, like... This is, we see this guy, like, he's supposed to be this tough, rugged, badass warrior, but yet, like, one arrow almost completely cripples him, and, like, he can't do anything else. Like, Boromir took nine arrows, and so, like, keeps fighting. <laughs> one arrow, like, in the back of the shoulder, and he's like, ah, and, like, can barely do anything after that. He... <laughs> He's supposed to be this crazy warrior, and everybody knows the Acadians. He's he's a madman. He can take on any task, but he seems to like have the crap beaten out of him by literally like every single person that he comes up against. Like he obviously can't be that powerful if he goes toe to toe with all of these different people. Like everybody acts like they're super afraid of him and like his skills aren't to be trifled with, but then he's trifled with way too much to, for being that powerful. But then you wouldn't have that great scene that's in slow motion where he's like, <laughs> dude. If I'm being honest, that was the only good part of the the entire movie. Him, just him, the idea of him using the arrow that was shot at him from his back as a weapon. I just don't feel like it would be like, a. I don't think it would be that painful. And B, I think it'd be a lot easier to rip that arrow out of it than it's portrayed. I was realizing, I think, didn't they recreate the shot from Mummy Returns where the spear goes through the fire towards towards uh, the Scorpion King? Isn't it flipped? Isn't it go an arrow through the flames and then the guy misses catching it? And he gets yeah. jolted backwards into an explosion? Um, that's such a sick reference. Using the Mummy Returns. <laughs> yeah, it's not pretty good. <laughs> so jacob i mean i know that like you're a pretty analytical guy and you really like to look at a movie and like break it down and yeah, be very it. analytical about it so like yeah. what, what do you think that like chuck russell is really trying to say with the scorpion king i think what he's really trying to say is like don't let the bs of life you know scorpion venom get it get you down like really use it as your crutch like own it so that nobody can use it against you and take down the man i.e. agamemnon so 
it's never oh it's never a bad thing to ask somebody to suck scorpion venom as as light from your mouth into their mouth that's really what i pulled from this entire movie so basically Dwayne the rock johnson represents the struggling or the dwindling lower class um (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh I don't know, like, who his friend is in the movie. I don't remember his name. But it seems like they're trying to recapture some of that, you know, that Jonathan energy. And it just doesn't work. The guy is so annoying. He's not It's not, not the size of the camel's hump. It's the motion of the camel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a question. The, the very beginning when they have that kind of, like, tribal... Um, coming together of all the different tribes around in the area. And they introduce this all king of like who's summoning all the tribes together. What's the point of his son betraying him? To show that he's connected with the king, Agamemnon. Yeah, but, but like what what purpose does it really serve? Like how does it change what happens? Like, just could, the, couldn't he just, just not guy. betray him and his brother well, no, still like, yeah. killed? <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I guess you're right. <laughs> Honestly, I had forgotten that his brother was even killed. Yeah, he got over that really quickly. He does not see. He seems to care way more about rescuing that girl than he does avenging his brother's death. Okay, I want to go back to this to this tag along guy. So he knows that he's an Acadian, like this dangerous assassin badass. He's a wuss, but one of his his requests for saving him is to take him on dangerous missions with him. Hmm. That's a good point. I do like Dwayne the Rock Johnson killing these fire ants like with his chin, and he's yeah. like, <clears throat> and he eats one. That's what's yeah, I guess that's totally. Oh yeah, and then the fucking ants swarm over him like the fucking scarab beetles in the mummy. They had this like same sound. I I was at that point I was like these guys got a thing for bugs and I'm not feeling it. Well, Stephen Summer wrote the screenplay or like contributed to it quite a bit. So yeah, I don't know. What this I would say what this movie is very successful at doing is reminding me that I would rather just watch The Mummy. Totally. <laughs> you know, I'm glad I own it, because it's one of those, like, in 12 years, I'll probably want to crack it out. Or, like, someday when I have, like, kids, I'll be like, guys, I want to show you a cultural icon where he began. I'm, I'm going to show you a cultural artifact. artifact. Yeah, I'm going to show you a cultural artifact. Oh. Gosh darn it. No, there's a lot of cheese in this movie that I had definitely forgotten about. I think that there's a lot of cheese that we just didn't recognize because we were 12 years old. That's also pro- – when did this movie come out? 2002? Yeah. I feel like I saw this in 2002. That's likely. So I was – wait, so what was that, 18 years ago? I'd be 8 or 9? Yeah, I believe I that. Six? Yep. yep, I think that's about the time. I will say, like – I feel like this achieves kind of the same thing that 300 is trying to do, but, like, just a much quicker pace. Let's get it moving. I'm just trying to see people battle with swords that don't really care about you, Gerard Butler. That's, like, a two-hour-and-a-half slog. This is a nice 
crisp 90 minutes. Also, one of the things that they really whiffed on is not giving him that dope fucking scorpion shield. That's true. One of the things they really fucked up on is not making him half scorpion. <laughs> He's just half scorpion from the beginning of the story, no explanation. Don't need it. They're just like, fuck it, you know, let's just... Roll if they with did, it, I guess. If they made him half scorpion and never acknowledged that he was half scorpion, the movie just played the game. How much better of a movie is that? It'd be kind of cool if they never addressed it, but then there were subtle conversations about like judging people for their looks and how it's not good, and those are just like sprinkled throughout the movie. I would like to hear His about friend, how like about how to- much money he spends on like foot wraps and like sandals because of all his legs. He's a scorpion, so, like, all of his friends just ride on his back. They don't need camels or a horse. I like all the efforts that they go through to get Dwayne The Rock Johnson shirtless. Like, when he gets swiped by, a sh- like, a sword, and instead of it cutting his chest, it just, like, rips his tunic. But he's fine underneath, and he's just like, ah, damn it, this thing's all flimsy now. And he just has to rip it off, and he's fine and good to go. Got you. That's the whole appeal of this. I, 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 this movie was made for women who just wanted to see Dwayne The Rock Johnson shirtless and men who wanted and to see men. Dwayne The Rock oh, here's Johnson another, shirtless. Oh, here's another funny thing that I was thinking about. So the scene when he's up in like the bell tower or whatever and he's like looking down with a bow and arrow and trying to decide if he should shoot the king or save the kid. Uh, <laughs> I like how much time he spends deliberating over that. Because for me, I was like, dude, if you kill the king... I think they'll be too distracted to cut the hand off that kid. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> Hold on. This was his last order. In remembrance of the king. <laughs> you think, like, the king, like, takes an arrow to, to the head, falls, and starts booting out, and he's like, that other guy is just like, God damn it, I'll deal with that in a minute. Like, and then he just takes a <laughs> hand and chops it off. <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Yeah, all kinds of little weird things like that that just kind of stick out and they're are kind of funny to me now. Walter, dude, stop. The king's dead. Hold on, Kyle. I'm not good at multitasking. Let me just finish this first and I'll get to you in a minute. Boom. I also like that the sorceress's bathtub like just drains out into the middle of the city. That's and convenient. That's a, it's a huge hole. Like she could easily just like accidentally get down in there one day and not be able to get back up that's horrible design yeah i didn't work. i don't how did he, the tub even stay filled i don't remember him removing a stopper of any sorts the water just has to continually run yeah how does this tub work yeah egypt seems like it's not really you know jam-packed full of water so they may want to conserve that a little bit also, if those are what their tubs are like, I think we've digressed as a society. <laughs> Everybody should have everyone should have a tub like that. Oh yeah, Scorpion King. That's a solid three out of five for me. I'll go three as well. I'll do the same. I'll match you guys. I'd go three, three with a heart three with a heart. I was gonna go with I was going to go three and a half, but, you know, three works just fine. Do it. Three and a half. All right, fire. I'm not going to lie. I hate doing the Rock Johnson, so I'm much more excited for Randy Couture. Are you actually going to watch these? Chris, what do I look like a man that would joke? 
This guy watched how many sorority slayings at Sorority Hill Manor? It's like he's he'll watch the Scorpion King. And two, he three, watched five. A, and he watched a lot of people take wrong turns. Dude, he, this guy watched eight Saw movies. <laughs> I do not ever want you to question what stupid things I would watch. <laughs> I take bad movies very seriously, I'll have you know. Do you also remember the time when Zach said, guys, I think I'm just done watching anything. It's quality over quantity now. That's great. Scorpion King 3. <laughs> In his defense, I, I too want to see Kimbo Slice. I do. I definitely want to watch the Scorpion Kings, but I've never said I don't watch stupid, dumb things. Oh, I still maintain that I don't watch stupid, dumb things. Okay. okay. Oh, my God. That is that is Kimbo's slice in the Scorpion King three. <laughs> oh my god! Does he have red eyes? I was gonna say, is his eyes glowing? They are. Yeah, you're not wrong. That's crazy. I mean, to be fair, they do introduce a mystical element in the Scorpion King that is literally never touched on ever. Well, they mentioned they mentioned it in the Scorp- uh, They mentioned it in the Mumping Returns that we've never seen before. Uh, Who's Victor Webster? Let's get into name. let's quit. Let's get into the Mummy then. Um, what do you guys remember? Do you guys remember this being scary when you were kids? No, not really. No, I was See, surprised by how kind of spooky it was. The scenes that definitely scared me was the scenes down in the tombs when the guy gets his tongue ripped out in his eyes. Yeah. I remember, like... That scared me. The the, the scarabs definitely scared me. Oh, gosh. I remember, like, getting creepy crawlies at the bugs. But, like, the part that scared me was when they left the tomb and they were in Egypt. And he is, like, releasing all those flies from his mouth. Oh, yeah, that's creepy. That part got me good. But, like, when he was a mummy, like, you know, still gooey and everything, not too much. Yeah, I like, actually, quite a bit how this movie plays like a horror movie more than anything else. I quite enjoy, like, it's it's a small thing, but, like, the attempts at authenticity, like, it's not, like, these flashbacks to ancient Egypt and these people are speaking English just because it'd be more convenient for them to. Nowadays you would just, you would cut to a flashback and it would be, they would speak English. But there's like, like the mummy doesn't speak a word of English. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That stuff's kind of cool. Um, but I like I like I kind of like in this like kind kind of takes itself kind of seriously and I kind of like that to a degree. Like I like that it sticks to the rules like it sets it sets out for itself for the most part in terms of like taking curses seriously the the consequences of things of that nature. Um, this is cursed. That is cursed. Which we can get into the Mummy Returns where like it breaks a lot of the rules it sets out in the first one. And kind of takes him like, a lot of liberty, which is kind of fine because I think the sec the Mummy Returns plays is more like an act- adventure movie than anything else. Yeah. Kind of like in the vein of like an Indiana Jones, 
but better. I mean, this one was still Indiana Jones-esque. Like, I watched The Mummy, and when I look at Rick O'Connell, I see an Indiana Jones that's actually successful and trying yeah. to do what he does. Well, like, The Mummy is like an Indiana Jones kind of, like, with some horror in it. I think The Mummy Returns is more just like Indiana Jones. I think it even has kind of similar music cues. Look, yeah. I'm all about hot takes. I prefer Brendan Fraser over Harrison Ford. I like this character of Rick O'Connell more than I like Indiana Jones. Yeah, okay, Zach, sure. I just want to say, I had no idea that Evie was Rachel Weisz this entire time until I got to The Mummy Returns this time. Really? I looked, I looked at the casting, and I was like, that's – what? And then I, I went back to the original photos, and I was just blown away. I had absolutely no idea that the mummy didn't take place in current day. Yeah, what is it, like 1926? Something like that, yeah. It was like 1933 was the second one. I thought it was like they it took place in present time, like, but I mean, that just kind of seems like the clothes you would wear to, like, excavations and stuff. So I was like, yeah, okay, that kind of makes sense. Like, oh, that's a pretty old gun, but, like, you know, maybe that's this thing, whatever. But nope, nope. Old days. You know, I love it. I like the time period quite a bit. I think that plays like a cool role in it. Benny, so much better. So much better than any other character inside any of these movies. I love Jonathan. Jonathan's yeah, I, good. I love what he brings. I like him in the first one quite a bit. I sent I sent my family a video of uh, uh, the warden and when he's taking those little like beetle things out of the wall and he does the form of the guy on the wall and he's like ah! <laughs> <laughs> I took a video of that and I sent it to my family because oh man that was just a riot this movie's so funny like legitimately like, funny. And the mummy returns when he has like that stick. And he's like, he's like, it's a spear. And he's like, it doesn't look like a spear. That's <laughs> the very end. A spear. <laughs> At the very end when, like, the, what's his name? I don't remember. The pilot guy. He's like, you took my stick. He was like, no, 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 no. I don't know what you're talking about. I bet you my wife's life that that never happened. And he's like, you're not married. <laughs> Oh my gosh. There's some legitimately good humor in this. It's yeah, there's, some, there's a good balance between <laughs> horror and comedy for sure. It's not all Jonathan. When Rick O'Connell and uh, Evie are sitting on the boat and she's like, why did you kiss me back there? And he's just like, oh, I was about to die. It just seemed like the right thing to do at the time. <laughs> I can't say I laughed at that. Nope. Are you nope. kidding me? I didn't laugh. That right there I laughed. Uh, any single point where Benny was being a complete and total pussy, or like when uh, he's just like, "Hey O'Connell, looks like I've got all the horses," and O'Connell's like, "Hey Benny, looks like you're on the wrong side of the river." Oh that man, used to be, that used to be funny until this time watching it. I'm like, "Yo, that lake is way too big for them to yell across at one another." <laughs> what I like is that when the mummy takes Rachel Vice. And they have this whole army trying to kill them. Brennan Fraser still feels the need to turn around and taunt Benny, even though he has no real reason. You'll get yours, Benny! You'll get yours! 
You hear me? Actually, that is a good scene when the army is like closing in and Jonathan's outside, and then he just starts like marching with the mum to the be like, "Hey, Mota." That's pretty good. That's pretty clever of that old Jonathan. Rachel Weiss takes a hell of a turn though between the Mummy and the Mummy Returns. Yeah, she becomes some sort of badass. She goes from nerdy librarian to sword wielding swashbuckler. But I mean, there is like some time that has passed, so it's it's believable. Eight years or something like that. Plus, but, like, like it doesn't look like Bern Fraser has aged a day, but you know, it's been like eight years. It, nine if they have an eight year old son. You know who hasn't <laughs> aged you know who hasn't aged at all? It's the dude that's from the Majai. He that dude has not aged at one day. Nope. He looks great for spending his days in the desert. It's a great workout. Yeah, plus this this guy's whole job is to keep this one mummy, this one individual mummy from coming back to life. He's terrible at it. He's so bad. The two people try two times to bring him back to life, and he fails two times. Like he's bad at his job. I like at the beginning of the Mummy Returns when he like after uh he gets taken and they're talking he's like jonathan's like i don't mean to point fingers but isn't it kind of your job to make sure this doesn't happen (laughs) exactly jonathan just didn't care that his nephew got taken like o'connell and evie are are just distraught but then Jonathan's there just cracking jokes, keeping everything lighthearted. He doesn't care that his nephew is just taken by an organization that wants to rule the world. I mean, he, when he's being shot at, he doesn't take that very seriously. That's fair. So maybe he's just... Dude, he's, he's been... Tra- miles, dude. He he's, been anything. he's been traumatized to the point to where any sense of negativity is now something to joke about. Man, it's getting dark. I love in the mummy, like, after he comes back and they're in this city, like, it gets all dark and, like, almost kind of, like, blue. Mm-hmm. And, like, I love all the stuff, like, with the kind of, like, the other group of people who's also looking for him. And, like, they're the ones that opens the chest and, like, they all die. And then guys like... That scene where the guy's like, oh yeah, I want a bourbon. I want a shot of bourbon. I'm going to chase that with bourbon. Like, that guy gets killed. That's that's all good stuff. I definitely love the imagery of the mummy, like, turning into sand and pouring in through the lock. I like the mask that he wears. And when he sees the guy with no eyes or a tongue. And he's, like, sitting there. And he's like... My friend wanted to thank you. And that's a really good scene. That's pretty creepy. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't touch him. It's not. It's very impolite where he's from. Yeah, all the stuff where, like, he hasn't... All the stuff where he's, like, still decayed and hasn't rejuvenated yet. Like, that's some pretty creepy-looking stuff that I remember being creeped out by as a kid. All the plagues, too, kind of creeped me out. Still love the scarabs. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I would really like to see, like, this movie exactly it is, as it is now, just with modern CGI. The CGI at the end is pretty terrible. It's yeah. Even, it gets even worse in The Mummy Returns. Which is weird, because, like, like what was the budget for The Mummy Returns? 
I don't know. I think the sand wall still holds up when he's got the face in the sand and he's chasing him through the desert. Yep. I thought that still looked okay. What is your deal? Do you want one too? 98 million. That's the budget of the anything to do with yeah. like how much money they spent on it. I just don't think the technology was there. Wasn't up to snuff yet. Whatever the whatever the budget was of the Mummy Returns, they're about 10 million short to finish off the CG rendering of the Scorpion King. I really <laughs> dislike the CGI at the end, like with his soul, like making immortal. That stuff looks terrible. Oh yeah. I really hate the stuff with Anox and a moon coming back as like a mummy and like. Yeah. That's so bad. But then she's magically back in the second one. Did they ever explain that? Well, no. Is, it's just it's just like a, a woman. It's, it's a her woman reincarnated. Oh okay. It's what he says, like, you are a Nox and a Moon physically, but I will get you your soul back. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yep. Come on, did you even watch that movie, dude? I did, I was just unsure. Of how, like, wait, I was like, so wow, I don't understand the point like of the, I don't understand the point of the bracelet. So was, wait, wait, I guess we're not even talking about The Mummy Returns yet, we can get there. <laughs> <laughs> we can get there. Uh, what do you guys think of Arnold, what is his name, Vazlu as Imhotep? He's great. I love yeah, him. Yeah, he is. I think he he adds an interesting presence to it. He just has the look. He's got the was right it, look. Was it Boris Karloff who played the original yes. mummy? Yeah, okay. But I also don't think this is supposed to be any sort of reimagining or retelling of that story. Yes, it is. I don't think so. It's precisely that. Well, then they took a, quite a few dramatic liberties. Yeah, they did, but it's definitely based on the same stuff. <laughs> um, oh, I think one of my favorite actually sequences in the entire bit in the thing is the opening, with like the opening monologue and talking about um, who Emotep is and the rich, like what they were trying to do and what happened to him and how he was put a curse on him. Like I thought that stuff works really well. It's yeah, a really it creepy way like, to set the movie. It seems like they kind of like double down on it and the mummy returns and like have to give you it seems like okay we gave you some stuff in the first one but this is his actual backstory of what happened what do you mean well like i feel like you don't learn everything in the first one like because in the second one you learn that a nox and a moon is supposed to be married to the king and she betrays him because she loves emotep and that's why emotep is killed and right you don't learn that in the first one. Of course you do. I don't think you do. Yes, you do. It's literally all in that beginning part. Well, I don't <laughs> like opening montages, so I probably wasn't paying attention. You literally, like, I think there's even, like, the voiceover talks about it. Because, like, the guy looks at him because he sees that his, his wife's arms, ink's all messed up. And he's like, who's touching you? And then he looks back and he's like, Emotep, my high priest? Yeah. And then Emotep takes a sword and kills him. They both do. And then him they and the break. Mistress. And then he breaks out of the prison, and then he goes to get her dead body and try to raise her from the dead. I love how often he just shouts her name for no reason at all. I just I just read the synopsis for the original Mummy, and it is. I mean, it's similar in how things come to be, but it it is in a completely different place. 
It says uh, same thing. Like these archaeologists go and they recite this ancient scroll, and Emotep comes back to life. But then it says several years later, Emotep has taken on the guise of a wealthy man as he searches Egypt for his lost love, who he believes has been reincarnated as the lovely Helen Grosvenor. It seems like a horror movie that just becomes a story about love. Uh, so they just took the be- so they just took the beginning part and then just carried it on differently. Yeah, like it just seems like they're like. Let's abandon the whole action, you know, wants to take over the world stuff. Like, let's let's just make him want to find his love. Have you ever seen the Universal Monster stuff? It's like, that's literally how they all are. None of them. Okay. Then, I guess, Chris, one could say you're out of your element. I am. I'm just baffled that that's how it went, and they decided to recreate it like this. Yeah, but there's you're a... You're that big... surprised, really? That what? That is, like, this is, like, what typical action adventure movies like this is the standard plot like i'm just surprised i guess not that they redid it like this i guess i'm surprised that they initially did it like that why it's been like 1933 why is that shocking well because like it just seems like it starts off in such an odd place to end up where it goes times are different man people wanted different things from their movies i get it but it just seems odd to me because wasn't the thing of a lot of it wasn't the, a lot of the Universal monster movies is that the idea was that it was a tragic monster. Yeah, they wanted it's literally like Bram Stoker's Dracula, right? He comes to England because to find love, Chris. Same thing with like Frankenstein. I think it's the idea that yeah, he's a monster, but he's just trying to fi- like find acceptance. Uh, isn't the creature from the Black Lagoon something similar? Well, yeah, but that has very rapey undertones. He kind of right. kidnapped women. Right. Now we look at it that way. By the time it was always like this idea of like needing, like being a monster and outcast, but needing to be accepted and just loved. Well, that's cute. He's taking her away into his pet. That's cute. They should have done that with this one. Wait, is Creature from the Black Lagoon just a ripoff of Old Greg? Yeah. I do believe yes. Old Greg came first, if that's what you're asking. Um, yeah, I like. Um, I think the Mummy also has a pretty good pacing to it. I think it doesn't take long to really get into some good action and maintains it throughout the whole thing. I think that's where it does a. I think that's where it does a cool job of like because that's a lot of the action parts of the, of it, like the action genre. Keeping it going from just plot to point to plot point, but also kind of mixing in some horror in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like the score too. I enjoyed everything about it, except for what I already mentioned that I didn't enjoy. I liked it all. Earth yep. Act. Yep. There was nothing to this. I, I think Brennan Fraser and Rachel Weisz have tremendous chemistry. Yeah, well, I think at first it's a little rough. And I'm not well, super to be rough at first. They're not that into it. I'm not super crazy about Rachel. I mean, Rachel Weisz isn't bad in the first one. I like her the most in The Mummy Returns. I like badass Evie instead of bookworm Evie. She loves those books. She writes books in the third one. Yeah, but it's not Rachel Weiss in the no, third one. No, it's not. It is. 
It's the uh, the mom and grown-ups. I know. I was about to say I know exactly who it is. He's 48 months. That's four. <laughs> the kid is four. Yep. <laughs> oh, I watched that this week. We'll talk about it. Uh, all right. You want to move on to Mummy Return? Star rating for the Mummy? Four and a half. Four and a half. I'm going to go... Yeah, I'll go four and a half. All right. Hold on. Can we just... I just want to say real quick, can we get Brandon Fraser back? I want more Brandon Fraser. What did he do? He had his time. <sighs> now it's time for the likes of Robert Pattinson, Ryan Gosling. I'm sorry. I would take... I would take Brandon Fraser over Robert Pattinson any day. You shut your mouth. I'm so You're a fool. No apologies. You know what? I take back my apology. I don't apologize. I don't think Brandon Fraser got his fair shake. Yeah. Why don't you name some of his, his your favorite roles by him? Brandon Fraser? Yeah. Uh, he was in Encino Man. No, he I didn't say in... to list off what he was in. I said to say your favorite roles. Encino Man? Okay. O'Connell and the Mummy. He was uh, the main rocker in Airheads. He was the uh, the main guy in Looney Tunes. I thought that he was a perfect fit to go with Bugs Bunny. Um, he was bedazzled not so much. It was pretty funny at times, but it wasn't crazy cool. Um, Journey to the all, all I got so far. Wow, you're a way bigger Brandon Frazier friend than I thought you were. Dude, I want him back. He just George of the Jungle, Chris? I was never a big George of the Jungle person. Then you don't really like Brandon Frazier. Uh, Bedazzled, Chris? You're forgetting that one? I was Bedazzled. I just said I wasn't crazy about it. Oh, God, you're an idiot. Uh, Son-in-Law? Never saw Son-in-Law. Furry Vengeance? I did see Furry Vengeance. That was horrible. Dickie Roberts, former child star? What? Have you never seen Dickie Roberts, former child star? No, but it sounds so familiar. It has uh, David Spade. And he is a um, child star. And now he's a kid. I mean, sorry, now he's grown up. And he's like, he wants to be famous again. Who's in this? David Spade. No, I mean, like, Brandon Fraser's in this? Yeah, I think he plays himself, but... Okay, that's not a real role for him. There are any of these IMDb deep cuts? If you're such a big fan, I mean, I think you would know. Where he plays bellhop number three in fucking some random thing. Joey Diaz is in this one. I gotta watch it, dude. I haven't seen it in such a long time. Well, if you want some more Brendan Fraser f- filling, let's we can talk The Mummy Returns, since he is pretty good in that. I'll give him that. So this came out, what, two years after? 2001. Yeah, so two years after The Mummy. First movie I remember going to the theaters to see. I remember getting mad at my mother because she wouldn't take us to see it opening weekend. It's a bummer, guys. You missed out on a good time. 
because mom had this rule where she had to see something first to make sure it was appropriate for us before we we could see it. So she hadn't gotten a chance to go see it yet. I got through into the fire. My mom didn't give a fuck. I know Mother Teresa's cool. Yes, she is. Yeah, my mom was the cool mom. Um, I think you're pretty cool though, Leanne. If you're listening, but you're probably not. She's not. Definitely not. <laughs> Uh, so the mummy returns gets way more away from the horror side and gets way in a lot more focused on the adventure side of things. Oh gosh, yeah, sure does. Like there are a lot of just plot points to hit in this movie. Oh, what? The his son? He's got a son now. He does. He has a son now. He's got a beautiful home that He's apparently little... anybody can enter at any time. <laughs> you sent that message, and I was like, wow, he's right. That's incredible. Like the Mejai, which, do they ever say his name? He yes. Name. Yes, I think they do. But I can't remember what it is. But the Mejai, when he just, like, randomly comes out of a random side bedroom, I'm like, whoa, where, how did you get in? Where did? When did you get here? His name is Ardeth. What is it? Ardeth. Ardeth? Yeah, R A R D E T H. Ardeth Bay. I don't remember them ever saying that. I think I said it in the second one. Or maybe they were maybe Brent, they were screaming it to someone who was just like, Oh yeah! And I just didn't know what they were saying. <laughs> Could be. Fair enough. I will say, uh, for this one, I think the action in the beginning is far better than the action at the end. Like, I love the scene, like, in the museum. I love the scene on the bus. All of that stuff is great. The bus was the best fight scene in the entire movie. I love those zombies that are, like, are not the mummies that are crawling on the walls and jumping around. That's just so cool. I don't mind the I don't mind the sequence with like the little mini mummies that are running through the tall grass, almost like Jurassic Park style. Yeah, that was okay. But everything after that, I think it kind of gets tiresome. Yeah, I mean after Evie gets stabbed, I'm kind of like, let's wrap this up. I don't know. Okay, I don't know. I don't get How why she has this? to. Two hours and ten two minutes. Hours. Two hours, yeah. ten minutes. That's too long. I don't get why they I don't understand why they have to kill her and then bring her back like fifteen minutes later. Like you really don't get a chance to sit with that death at all. They should have just killed her. I yeah, just don't like understand it. like what the point is besides like getting O'Connell inside the temple, which he would have done whether she died or didn't anyways, because he's he's like the hidden hero or like whatever well, realistic, calls him or something. Well realistically what it comes down to is you need to give something for Jonathan and the kid to do. Right, but I I love like the Magi's fight with like with the dog soldiers. That's pretty cool. I like the look of them, even though they don't look that great. I like the design anyways. Mm-hmm. Um what I truly hate about this movie is this weird like extra kind of stuff about like fate and coincidence. And all, like, the flashbacks that Evie has, like, her her past life, I could have done without 
all of that. Yeah, her like her stuff about her secretly being a princess at the same time that all this was going on is ridiculous. <laughs> and then like the Brendan Fraser's tattoo and his response is, "Oh, I don't know. I got an, an orphanage. What or like what? <laughs> what orphanage <laughs> tattoo there?" <laughs> It's going to need a bit more explanation than just, I got it at an orphanage. That's <laughs> such a good point. I forget that he calls it an orphanage. Not like, yeah, I got this in jail when I was a teenager. Nope. When I was a baby, I was dropped off and they gave me this tattoo. Weird. It doesn't look warped or stretched at all with your body growing. Also, like, he's the only one that got tattooed? <laughs> Because it's like it's supposed to be a special symbol that means he's a guardian. So like yeah. only. So like, but that's what. Okay, they so call him a magi, but the guy who is a magi is calling him a magi, but he doesn't have the tattoo. We don't know that. I mean, we see two tattoos on his body. It's safe to assume that if he had one that matched it, they would have done like one of those arm by arm comparisons where he's like, well, well Chris. Where he keeps his tattoo, you couldn't exactly whip out in a PG-13 movie. (laughs) (laughs) That raises, like, another interesting question of, like, okay, if the Magi are identifying people with tattoos, who's giving these tattoos? Is it not other members of the Magi so they could at least keep track of who becomes a Magi or not? So is it a Magi orphanage? (laughs) Is it, like, who is... The special Magi tattoo artist. And, like, <laughs> this kind of sound, Dude, if, I think you could get, get into the Magi world and basically build it like John Wick. <laughs> it's like, how do these random tattoos, like, pop up on people and they just don't know about it? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah. <laughs> a society that, like, has one job ever in the world. And, like, they just have members that they don't know about scattered in the world somewhere. Like, the, they check into the little orphanage, and the guy behind the counter is like, Shall I send the tattoos up to your room, sir? <laughs> okay, but, okay, I want to know about the device of the bracelet. So is the point that Emotep is going to put on the bracelet... So that the Scorpion King will rise with his army, and then he can kill the Scorpion King and take his army? Correct. Is that what the, so how come Brendan Fraser doesn't just all of a sudden now command the army? Well, he did. Well, he sent him back to the underworld. How yeah. did he do? What, how did that happen? Well, because remember when he stabbed the Scorpion King, and he was like, he's like, go to hell and take your friends with you. That's like him commanding the army to go to hell. So how come Emotep didn't have to be like, go to hell and give me your army before he threw the spear? Well, I think intent would be clear, like what each one intended to do with it. I see. Yeah, if there's a half scorpion man, all logic is thrown out the window. But this they is, easily this, did, could not have quite, made him half. But that's like that's like so complicated to be like, okay, we have to bring Emotech back from the dead and also find this bracelet so he can wear the bracelet and wake the Scorpion King to fight the Scorpion King. It's definitely a twenty-seven part plan where everything has to go perfectly right. But I mean, to their credit, for the most part, it does. <laughs> it's pretty insane. 
It's like, it's like in Indiana Jones in the first one. Like it would have ended up the exact same way whether Indiana Jones was there or not. And they decided to go the same exact route with this one, except in the end, O'Connell was came out victorious. This is what I want to know. So, if their kid dies wearing the bracelet, does that mean nothing happens? I think that no, I think the army still awakens. No, because the, the army has to awaken has to get to the temple first, right? What the hell is the point of the bracelet? You, that just where that just awakens it. We're also shows you the map as to where they're located. That's true. We're only where only pieces are located, right? Along the way. Fuck if I don't know, dude. I don't know. Wait. So like, show some of the path. Like the, you the first path. destination, and then yep. at the destination you will then get. Oh, it shows. Clue. That's right. That's right. That shows you the next one. Why it has to work that way, I'm not entirely sure. Why the bracelet couldn't just show you the whole map, I really don't know. Why there but. has to be a bracelet at all, not just the literal map, I also don't know. Hold on, but like nobody else got to look at the first part of the map besides the kids. So these guys already knew where they were going when they picked him up. They're also putting a lot of stake into an eight-year-old being able to see a map that he saw for all of three and a half seconds. Well, he did say that he recognized everything. But like you look, and at he the knew map. exactly. No, and he also knew exactly where they were going by memory because he could fucking sculpt it out of sand. It's true. He just like, oh yeah, yeah. He was like, we're going to these these fucking pyramids, and the next thing you know, boom, there's some pyramids in the sand. He knows exactly what they look like. This kid's a geography whiz. This guy's good. You should get him on Child Jeopardy. I want him on Are You Smarter Than a Fifth Grader. <laughs> I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> um, one thing that kind of bugged me crazy like, right off the bat is how they spend all of the mummy. It's like that stuff never happened. Like they're literally open, going through these things, opening up boxes that say not to be opened. And it's like, Literally didn't learn anything eight years ago. Nothing. Plagues of Egypt literally happening. Nothing. That's that is one of the things that I actually like about the third one, which is that like they have retired from like doing all the stuff, and they're just incredibly bored, and they're like kind of they're almost kind of like hoping for something to happen so that their life can have excitement again. I think that's interesting. But yeah, you're right. Like we literally open them going into a place that they know they shouldn't be. That's like cursed and like knowingly cursed. But they're like, yeah, no, it's cool. Like we should just open up this shit. Like it's almost like they're thinking like, like yeah, we've like we've almost like ended the world. But like it can never be that bad again, right? It'll be fine. But all that nitpicking stuff aside, like, I do like the action in it, for the most part. Like, I like how quickly the story moves along. You know what I want to know? What do you want to know? These bad guys have this ginormous, like, army of these dudes in, like, red hoods and red capes that, you know, are willing to, like, sacrifice themselves for the sake of the cause. Where are they getting these guys? 
Like, are they walking around the streets asking people if they want a job? Or, like, are they putting ads on Craigslist? Like, where are they coming from? So whatever those guys are called, they also have an orphanage where they pick kids out of. Also, aren't those the same uniforms that the guards (laughs) in Scorpion King wear? I think it is, yeah. It's all coming together. I think they're the exact same. Except, like, the reason for that is because they didn't want to pay for new costumes when it came to the Scorpion King. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we got these lying around. <laughs> All right, here's a question. What CGI do you think looks worse? The Scorpion King or when Dwayne the Rock Johnson is standing in the desert at the beginning and the forest just appears around him? <laughs> um, definitely the video game. Yeah. Like plucked straight from WWE 2000, <laughs> oh, like 2008. 2K6. Yeah. That was really bad. Like even like okay, as a young kid. That's what it is. Do, do you think that Dwayne the Rock Johnson like he ran out of days he could film, so they just took his CGI rendering from the WWE games and used that. What do you mean like ran out of days? What they did film of him should only take you like 20 minutes. <laughs> But apparently it took like there's some reason there were delays. I don't know structural fires on set. I don't know. There has to be a reason that that made it into the cut. Like there's no way that Stephen Summers under perfect conditions looks at that and goes, "Run it." <laughs> there's know. just no way that there had to have been something that happened. Was I don't like- know why you couldn't have like built him a suit so that you could like just do it all practically. Yeah, I guess, like, stuff when he's running on walls, like, that could be CG, but, like, you, you couldn't have come up with some kind of thing where, like, at least when he's just standing still, it could be a real person. Not even that. Why does it have to be a scorpion? Why? We've accepted Emotep could just be a mummy. To be a mummy? Why can't he just be a, a fucking man? Or maybe just, like, scorpion the pinchers. I could accept that. Yeah, maybe he's got pincer hands or like a scorpion tail, maybe. But Edward Pincher hands, I could love that. <laughs> yeah, but to be like a, a like a a scorpion with like six pincers and it's insane. He also underutilizes that stinger. He's a terrible scorpion. Yeah, yeah. everyone knows that when you back into a corner, you got to sting, you got to strike. But it is also true that if you use the stinger, does that apply to him? If he were to use that stinger, he would die. That's not how scorpions are. Yeah, they don't not die. I'm pretty sure that's what happens to a scorpion. They would never eat. That's how they. That's how they get prey. They stab them. I didn't realize you were a scorpion. No, but I'm a scorpion expert. <laughs> yeah, but I'm a scorpion king, so overruled. King and expert aren't the same thing, as yeah, we've learned. From, as we learned from Egg and Memnon. It is kind of cool that like, I can split swords. That's a cool talent to have. He's the best swordsman in the entire world. So. so it seems more like a party trick than an actual like war strategy, but that's still pretty cool. Yeah, you're, you're you're tampering with your sword's integrity at that point. It's it's weak if you split also, it into. Also, this is what we, this is one thing we didn't mention in the Scorpion King review. It must be like the worst blacksmith ever in that movie because it's so easy for them to break swords. Like, yeah, Michael Clark like, Duncan and and The Rock they swing at each other and all of a sudden it shatters. 
it's, there's like three different times in the movie where a sword breaks. It doesn't like chip or, you know, even get a little duller. Like it completely shatters the metal. Breaks in half. They need what a better they? blacksmith in this Are there place. swords made of aluminum? Did somebody melt down some Sprite cans and decide to make a sword out of it, and then they just gave it to these guys on set? It's all they had extra of was Sprite cans back then. Just they lying wanna, on the ground. They didn't want to pay for a new sword, so they took all like, the aluminum cans they like, had lying around. We've got all, we've got all these uh, Budweiser cans from when Stephen Summers was editing The Mummy <laughs> Returns. Let's make some swords out of them. Frigate, dude. Let's go for it. They're green swords. They're environmentally friendly. Repurpose it. Reduce, reuse, recycle. That is friggin' funny. Yeah. Let me return. I would say, at large, I, 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 pretty, I do like the kid. I think he's pretty good in it. He's alright. I, like I wasn't like... Together. Yeah, that was a good relationship to kind of pinpoint in on. The two most useless characters. Put them together. They can make some comedy. Him and Jonathan? Yeah. Yeah. I still have a lot of fun when The Mummy Returns. I have a lot more fun than I thought I would. I was kind of nervous revisiting it. I was nervous revisiting all of them. Because, like, I generally have a rule of thumb that if I enjoyed, enjoyed it as a kid, chances are I'm going to hate it now. <laughs> yeah. Or, like, not hate it now. It's going to be a bad movie now. So, rewatching this, I was like, oh, I, I kind of liked this movie when I was growing up. And this was the one of the only movies that I wanted to be good. Dude, this is why when you're a kid, dude, you got to watch the same things that you watch now. It doesn't happen. I loved 8 Mile when I was 9. I love 8 Mile when I'm 23. Do you still like 8 Mile? 8 Mile is amazing. Alright. I just wanted to hear it come from the horse's mouth. You know, I watch Friday the 13th when I'm 9. I watch Friday the 13th when I'm 23. So good. Oh, gosh. Uh, Any other final comments about The Mummy Returns? I don't think so. Talk a lot of shit, but I still kind of liked it. I I, I think it's fun. But I think it's, like, a lot worse than The Mummy. I agree with that. Definitely. I mean, getting away from the horror elements certainly hurts it, but I understand why. It gets into, like, uh, kind of like what we talked about with Total Recall, like, it gets into more like action movie tropes where just it kind of becomes too convoluted for its own good. Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely starts to overcomplicate itself a lot. And what was the deal with that like air balloon thing? I liked it. That's but, like, cool. I Is there a good like point? I, said, it's I liked silent. it. It's not gonna make noise like a plane. Yeah, I don't mind that air balloon. The way it's traveling's cool. Like I'm, just... I'm kind of hit or miss on the water sequence again that they redo. I would have the sandstorm a lot more. Throwing herself overboard on purpose. Yeah, right. Because of her visions. Because of the visions. The visions are the by far the worst part. I don't, like, I have absolutely no idea what Stephen Summers is trying to say with those scenes. Like, it seems like it's trying to be somewhat profound. And it just, it can't be. because Somewhat profound in what way? About, well, like, 
just the these ideas of like fate and consequence and like oh you know these sort of paths that are destined for us and you cannot shy away from your responsibilities when you get tattoos at an orphanage <laughs> yeah yep fair enough I think I'm gonna go four out of five on this one I will also go four I'll go three and a half the stick with this guy a three and a half that's a good rating dude that's what you gave the scorpion king you like them both <laughs> the same I gave the scorpion king a three and a half yeah you bumped it up remember fuck Good old stick stick or dude. Ah, that's fair. No, Mummy Returns gets a four. Fair enough. <laughs> okay, now before we move on, of the three movies we watched, which one is the most likely to make it in your top one hundred? Even in is it currently in your top one hundred? The Mummy and Yes. The Mummy and Yes. I would also go the mummy and yes. I mean, it's it's a very low, but it's in there. Hey, you need some movies between 100 and 90. It's true. You need oh, 10 wow. to be exact. <laughs> I don't know why you guys are rating it so low. Fuck, it's in like top 50 probably, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like top 25, <laughs> you know. I, Maybe for you, top Chris, 50. I believe it. For you, I believe it. Oh, uh, whatever. Sorry that, you know, I can't have... I mean, like, it's not a good movie, but, like, I was entertained. You both were talking at the exact same time, and I did not catch either one of what you said. I guess you gotta listen harder. I mean, that's... that's... So, are you doing Steven Summers? Is that the next director for season two? Yes. (laughs) Sick. So, I have to rewatch these again. What else did Steven Summers do? I Dude, he's sure. got some big things. It'd be a pretty fun watch. Let's see, we got... See, so we got The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, Van Helsing. Oh, that's uh, right. G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra. Yep, G.I. Joe, Rise of Cobra, Odd Thomas. It looks like you've got The Jungle Book. Oh, man, I bet that's pretty good. What, the Jungle Book? He directed The Jungle Book. Deep oh, is that, Rising? Is that the live-action one, but from, like, the 90s? Yeah, it has Jason Scott Lee in it, which I would assume is a, a, a relative of Bruce Lee. And then you've got Deep Rising. Which I, I bet that's pretty good, actually. A budget of forty-five million, box office eleven point two million. Yes, you should look at the numbers for Odd Thomas, dude. It's pretty terrible. They must, uh, they must have been banking on DVD sales, straight to DVD type movie stuff. And he directed the Adventures of Hawk Finn. That should be a good visit for you. Is this our next director episode? Are we doing Steven Summers? Elijah Wood plays Huck Finn. Wait, what? Another appearance by Ron Perlman. He plays Pop Finn. Ah, uh, so that's <laughs> why he's in the. That's why he's in the Scorpion King movies. So Stephen, uh, Stephen Summers and Ron Perlman. 
Oh, no. Ron Perlman is to Steven Summers as Robert De Niro is to Martin Scorsese. Yeah, there you go. They are uh, one of the same. <laughs> oh fuck, that was funny. Oh shoot. All right, what's uh, what, got, what else did you guys watch this week? Um, I'll start us off. I'm gonna go in order of things that I watched. Let me get to my list here. I watched a decent amount of things this week. Uh, I am going to lump some things together, so you should probably do the same. All right. Hey, I have two things to review, so. I'll lump these two. I got Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2. Can I say they're they're fantastic, dude. Grown Ups, I gave it a four stars out of five. I I freaking really like this movie. Where did you watch Grown Ups 2? We own it on DVD. Oh, shit. Yeah, I was uh, I was scrolling through my DVD collection, packing them up the other day, and I saw Grown Ups 2 and Grown Ups. I got the, the double feature DVD set. Whoa. One of the yeah. grossest phrases I've ever heard. <laughs> That's yeah, Grown Ups DVD combo set. <laughs> when you say you were browsing your DVD collection, do you mean the binder that it's all in? I actually got rid of the binder. I, I That whole collection I had, I used to have like 220-something movies. And I brought them all to Blue Moose and sold them all. And then I've just bought a couple of movies here and there going forward. But I got to say, Grown Ups 2 is – it doesn't hold a candle, but it's still really freaking good. I love it. <laughs> I On here on Letterboxd, I gave it two stars. But I believe I also gave it a heart. I gotta watch the second one. <laughs> I'd I'd watch it. I mean, like it's it's. Is Grown Ups in your top one hundred? It's it's on the cusp. If if it's not. <laughs> I hope it's number. Here. I hope it's number one hundred or something. <laughs> I mean, it's really good. Back in. Hey, so what did you want? Yeah, Grown Ups too. Grown Ups 2 is great. The whole thing is based around these guys. And, you know, uh, Kenny Fader has just moved back up to New England, right? He was living in L.A., you know, this big hotshot. Hasn't had a job in, like, six months. It's the last day of school. Summertime. Isn't Lenny? Isn't his name Lenny Fader? I thought it was Kenny. Anyways. His name is not Kenny. Who's Lenny? Which character is Lenny? Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler. Okay, okay. Well, anyways. They get up to New England, and this whole thing has no structure to it whatsoever. It's just these people going through a day. The whole thing starts off with, you know, they're waking up. Adam Sandler looks to his left, sees his wife, looks to his right. What's in his bedroom? But a deer pissing in his face. And then from there, it's just a wild ride. This is what I don't understand. Like, how can you like this movie and not love Jack and Jill, and not <laughs> love the Zohan. Like, they're amazing. They're just as good as this. I have a, I, I don't like the Zohan, but I have a love-hate relationship with Jack and Jill. But like, just the Duncan Chino commercial alone in that movie. Oh, everything with Al Pacino is gold. great. 
the part at the end where he's dressed up like his Broadway character and he has a spear and he's stabbing at the freaking ceiling fan. He's like, you five-legged beast. <laughs> it gets me every time. Did I ever watch The Cobbler? Dude, I bet that's pretty good. Yeah, I, if I remember right, it gets kind of sad. That's fine. Ugh. I don't know. But anyways, watch Grown Ups 2. It's just about these guys going through a day, and they end up on a party where they beat up a bunch of frat guys, where one of the frat guys is Taylor Lautner. Oh. So wasn't it Shaquille O'Neal's role in all this? Team Jacob. Are you a cop? Yeah, Shaquille O'Neal's a cop. <laughs> That's great. Stone Cold Steve Austin is in this movie as uh, Lenny Fader's old bully. What? <laughs> Dude. This movie is just pure gold. This movie rocks. I can't wait to watch it. Randy Couture in uh, the second second Scorpion King. Stone Cold Steve Austin in Grown Ups 2. How is Stone Cold Steve Austin not considered for a Scorpion King sequel? That's a very good question. I think when they were doing that, he was doing Condemned or or something. Is he too, like... Light skin? Does he not look like he could pass for ancient Egyptian? So he's not an Acadian. I don't know. Arnold Vosloo seemed to be fine. <laughs> oh man. Good shit though. Is it me? Yeah, it's you. Um. Okay. So I watched. Uh, directed by. One, Mike Newell. Uh, this is from 2005. It is uh, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Classic. I gotta say, I like this a lot more than I remember. Um, I think it's pretty fun. Like, I like the whole idea of the Goblet of Fire. I like the, the thing I'll say is like. The tasks like just seem like they could have come up with something a bit more interesting than that. Like I really like the one in the Black Lake, but like the dragons and then like the maze at the end, it's like I feel like he could have done better than that. But I, you know. it it just seems like the second task where they have to go into the lake and save their like loved one or whatever. It's just like what, there's no consequence to that. They're just going to go down into this lake, find a person, and then they, like, have to, like, save them. It's not like that person's going to die. I like that they, like, try to make you think that this thing is super dangerous. But it's like, no one even gets remotely hurt, like, until Voldemort shows up. Yeah. Like, everyone's fine. But I get the sense of danger from the first task and the third task. Because at least in the first task, you could potentially get eaten by a dragon. And I like how there's no way Harry King could get out of this thing. Like, that makes no sense to me at all. Okay, here's... What happens if he doesn't compete? Here's what here's Does what I truly off? was confounded by, Chris. Which is that, literally in the previous movie, The Prisoner of Azkaban, they make such a big deal about how hard it is to escape from Azkaban. And in this movie, there's another prisoner who has escaped from Azkaban that literally no one is looking for. <laughs> like, there's no dimensions in Hogwarts why wouldn't that be such a big deal 
Who was and it? Then it was um, Barty Neville Crouch Jr. He escaped from Azkaban? He went to Azkaban. Ah, fair enough. So he would have had to have escaped. Mm. I don't do three-year sentences. Like, I'm pretty sure you're there for life. <laughs> they don't do they do not do uh, three years out on good behavior? No, I don't think they do. <laughs> but no, I, I still think this one's pretty fun. It's still has kind of like a, a a slightly less serious tone but it's it's heading down that path uh there's still like some funny like moments there's still like your typical like haggard big bumbling idiot jokes and stuff like that um but then i also watched uh directed by david yates harry potter and the order of the phoenix and this is just like a drastic shift in tone wait hold on hold on you did not read two books in one week, did you? I was only had like a hundred pages left of the Goblet of the Fire when we were recording oh. last week. All right. Um, but it, it, I don't, I don't mind it becoming serious, like in more and more adult as we're getting closer to him having to fight Voldemort. But this shift is just so dramatic, and like. I have got to revise my statements here. Like, I like The Goblet of Fire. This is my least favorite Harry Potter movie. Like, this one, it's so self-serious. Harry is, like, such a whiny little bitch, like, the whole movie. And, like, I, it doesn't really feel like a movie. Like, it doesn't feel like any of the other movies where he's discovering things and, like, solving some kind of, like, mystery about what's happening. It's, like, montage after montage that's, like, just kind of passing time so they can just move it along. Like, it doesn't really feel like there's any sort of story that's being structured or set up or followed. Like, they're just kind of moving you from one plot point to another with a montage. Is this um, the one where you get introduced to Luna Lovegood? Yes. All right, I do like her character. I like her character, but, like, I just, I don't even dislike some of the things that happen in this movie. Just as a whole, it just feels all over the place. And for adapting the longest book, it's the shortest movie, and that just doesn't make any sense. It definitely feels like this entire series is split up into chunks. Like, the first and the second one, you're introduced to this all, and it just seems super mystical, you know, like you're supposed to be having a whole lot of fun with it. And then the third and the fourth one come, and you're getting a little more serious, but he's still a kid, and he's still in school, so you can't, like, make it too intense. Then the fifth through the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth just jump to this completely different place. This one, I'm not going to say you lose me at that. Order of the Phoenix is like Big Brother Hogwarts edition. Order of the Phoenix is like... (laughs) That's a good one. Harry Potter, but he's really into like My Chemical Romance. Like it's it's very (laughs) teen angst and like he's kind of like back talking everyone like I don't give a fuck about anything. Fuck you. I only... Fuck you, Voldemort. I'm going to kill you. I'll... (laughs) Name if I fucking want to. Like that's kind of what Harry Potter feels like in this one. Harry Potter and, comes out with like the the black hair covering his eyes and like the black <laughs> painted fingernails. <laughs> Look, dude, I didn't see. Actually, any that would be pretty amazing. Ripley, 
but I can't say that they weren't there. That would be so amazing if on the when Harry Potter's on the bed with Sirius Black, he's got like swooped over hair that covers half his face. He's got a snake bike tattoo yeah. or a snake bike piercing, and he just like wipes his hair and he's just like, I don't know, Sirius. I just feel like so angry all the time. <laughs> Ron, why don't you just leave me alone? You just don't understand me. He goes up and he sits on his bed and he's sitting there, not even with a guitar, but with a bass, just like playing along to Black Parade. <laughs> I just, I just don't, I don't really care for this one. And it's kind of like that point where it basically just kind of like fills in some gaps and it's like, we're just going to move you along to the next one. It definitely, yeah, that's a that's a huge filler one. Because you finally get the return of Voldemort, right, at the very end. The very that's that end. That one. Yeah, okay. now I know that he's back. And you can't, like, it, they have, it sucks because, like, I feel like because this movie is rushed along so much, you don't get the, the final justice of... Not justice, but like you don't get the satisfaction, or not satisfaction. You don't get the the. It doesn't get the credit that it deserves with Sirius Black's death. Yeah, just say Zach. Do you think it's weird that they put more of an emotional beat to Dobby's death than they do Sirius Black? Yes, I do. And I also think it's very strange that like again, four more people escape from Azkaban, even though it's said to be impossible. Like. I really don't think this is as high security as they like to think it is. Yeah, those dementors are pretty useless. And, okay, I know we've talked about it before, but this, this is how I know Hogwarts isn't a real school. Because if it was, and this one kid kept showing up every year and terrible things happened and people died, there would be like a million PTA moms like petitioning to make sure that kid could never return to the school. But that happens, do that, though, right? Yeah. No. That happens in one of the – isn't it one of the things, like – isn't it – yeah, that was the Order of the Phoenix where they, they were like, yeah, my – they say that kid's name was like, my mom almost didn't want me to come back to school this year. Well, yeah, that's, like they're saying they don't believe him. That that's the seventh one. That's, that's in the seventh one. Or that kid shame – no, it's not. That's like the fifth one. No, that's the seventh one. It's like Harry, Hermione, te- and Ron have in- left the school at this point, and they have to sneak their way back in. Because right, Snape has become the- headmaster. But there's also that point, like, where yeah, where he's like, where Harry's like, your mom's, your mom's fat. I don't care if she doesn't believe me. Basically. Yeah, while he's listening to Papa Roach. <laughs> uh, Seether's playing in the background. <laughs> I also like. And I'm broken. <laughs> oh my <It> gosh. Just... <laughs> Expelliarmus, I guess. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks a lot, Chris. I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. I think I've just introduced you to a better way of thinking about this. <laughs> You're welcome. That'd be great oh. if he was like, I love you, so don't want to be here right now. <laughs> that professor who comes to, like, take over, she's the worst. I quit Quidditch because, you know, it's just a big, dumb jock. Like, all they do is just sit there and, like, 
get strong and stuff. Like, it's just so dumb. They don't even have any complex thoughts. Yeah, there's no Quidditch in this one. Yeah. That's pretty disappointing. Uh, Lupin. Lupin's in this one. He's not in the fourth one. It's a bit of a downer. Uh, Lupin comes back for a short scene, probably the best scene in the movie. Um, yeah, that's really about it with Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Uh, the introduction of Bellatrix is strange. I still really like her. You do or don't like her? I do. She was perfect for that casting, in my personal opinion. She is. She's quite good. Holy fuck. There are three more scheduled Fantastic Beast movies to be made. Damn. I haven't even seen the previous one. Yeah, who put Fantastic Beasts on the voodoo? I did. Oh. And then I bought the second one on Black Friday. I'm surprised that you guys own those. I'm surprised you're down with the Fantastic Beasts. Nine ninety nine yep, on four. Nine ninety nine on four K, baby. Just uh, understand, Chris, that I'll buy literally anything for five dollars. <laughs> just think about all the other things that you could buy with those five dollars, or even just like the collection of all the five dollars that you spent. Why would I think about that? It's a fair enough. I I can't come back against that argument. Rock solid, baby. All right. My turn. What would I do, Chris? Save my money? Yeah. Stupid. Why would anyone want to do that? All right. Um, I watched. Oh, yes. I guess Jacob doesn't get to talk about what he watched. I figured we wait until the end because he's got Mister Two Things over here. Okay, that's fine with me. No, no, go ahead. Mr. I can't watch anything during the week. I'm busy. I am. I got a lot of shit. I got a lot of shit to do. I'm a, I'm a busy guy. Mr. But, I love my girlfriend, so I'm going to get her a gift. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah, right? <laughs> um, That's fine. You can skip me around to the last couple. That's fine with me. All right. If you want to go now, I don't I don't want to, like, rip the rug out from under you. you, you have, you're the host. Yeah. You get to choose. Either way, at some point, I'm just going to end up sitting here and listening to you guys. So I might as well just get it out of the way now. All right. I watched, um, where is it? Neat, the story of bourbon. I watched, it's a it's a documentary because I'm such a doc head now. Oh, um, head, this guy. It's about the story of bourbon and how it came to be and what makes bourbon different from all different other types of whiskeys. And, like, the laws that have came along with bourbon and the trends that made it unpopular and popular and how it almost didn't survive the 80s and how it almost didn't survive prohibition. But then it did because it was, like, a big thing that came, a big boom after the fact. And then it's about uh, the people that make this bourbon and how to drink it, how to taste it. You know, how to tell if something is bourbon or not compared to other different types of alcohols and like what specifically makes it brown. And it was just like a very informative thing about like these things that um, they're called bourbon masters or something like that. And it's just really interesting. First thing I did after I watched it was I went to the grocery store and bought a bottle of bourbon to see if what they're saying is accurate. I kind of like it. I guess if I don't, I do like it. It's what not my favorite drink. What happened to Sober 2020? Yeah, that went out the window a little bit ago. 
shit. I lasted almost half a year, though. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. Respectable. I still haven't been drunk. I've had a couple drinks, but I've never, I haven't been drunk this entire year. Ah. So oh, think you, think would, you think you're better than me? I don't think that would fly at AA, but. <laughs> you, you think you think you're better than me because you know, sure, sure, I have ten beers a night every single night, but that doesn't mean I'm an alcoholic. Like, what are you talking about? As long as I don't get drunk, it's not a problem. No. Well, I had a couple drinks uh, the other night, and it's pretty good. And by the night, I mean last night. <laughs> LOL. <laughs> I have me right now while I'm recording. Yeah, and you thought I had water in my water bottle. <laughs> oh, fucking pussies. Um, but it's really <laughs> it's interesting. I enjoyed it. Very informative. People care I'm not going to lie to you. So much. It doesn't sound that interesting. I won't be checking it out, but I'm glad you checked it out for me. I don't think you are, Jake. I am. I really am. I genuinely don't think you care. I genuinely do care. I've never cared about anything more in my life. You know what? Top 10 of the top 100. Chris, like, is neat the story of bourbon? Yeah. <laughs> right now. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that it's going to be in my top 10. Doubling Let's down. Let's just say... If all three of us were working together to watch every movie that had ever been released, <laughs> I'm just glad that Neat fell on your shoulders, not mine. Is that not what we're doing? Because I've been hacking away all the shit movies this whole entire time, and I hate it. Oh, man, I hate it. I watched Grown Ups 2. What a burden. Oh, man. Like I said, I want that guy's job who made Scripping King 4. I mean, that guy's got it made. He made Bulletproof 2. That's, like, arguably one of Adam Sandler's worst movies. And Adam Sandler isn't even in Bulletproof 2. <laughs> oh, man. My turn, Chris. Hold on, I'm going to lump this in with something else. Oh, fine. Yeah. Um... I watched A Star is Born. Yeah, those two really go together. I can see why you lump them in. <laughs> I mean, the story about bourbon and he's an alcoholic. I feel like it kind of like... <laughs> Loose connection. It's there, though. He's more of a vodka man. Have you not seen what he drinks? Gin. Is it gin? It's gin. I remember him specifically saying gin. Gin on the rocks. Man, that's a real... Nasty drink. Sure I've never is. Had I, I've smelt it before, and it smells like pine needles. Tastes like it too. <laughs> then I'm all in, my man. <laughs> uh, uh, it's good. I get. I, I like it just as much as I liked it the last time. Definitely didn't pull anything new from it, but I wasn't any less entertained. So it was still a four and a half for me. Half uh, one hundred. Potentially. Potentially. It's no neat, you know, a story of bourbon, but. <laughs> Chris, That's are you good. attempting to limit how many Bradley Cooper movies you put in your top 100? Realistically, Silver Linings Playbook will be in there. I think that's the only Bradley Cooper movie. Maybe The Hangover. Not Limitless. Not Limitless. 
not going into the galaxy. Uh, he plays a raccoon, dude. Like, <laughs> and <laughs> fair enough. Uh, no, Guardians of the Galaxy will not be on there. You're not putting Wedding Crashers in your top 100. That one might make the top 100. <laughs> that one might. I do love that movie. Oh. All right. Well, speaking of Bradley Cooper. Uh, I watched something that both of you guys have watched recently. Uh, I watched Money Python and the Holy Grail, directed by Terry Gilliam. Solid. Um, I was, I think I still prefer Life of Brian, but I will say like, I don't think every Life of Brian really. I think so. Hmm. I will like, not every sketch. In Holy Grail, like, is hilarious, but like all of them at least have something that like you makes you laugh. Yep. Like, I I do think the first half is far superior to the second half. Uh, but it's it's a good time. It's hilarious. I'll, I it's, asked Chris this, so I'll ask you. Do you think that ending means that it's all taking place in modern times? Yes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I think, like, I think it's supposed to be, like, cosplayers. Like, people who LARP. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Which makes it even more funny. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, you guys touched on it. I love the Black Knight sequences. Uh, that stuff is good. Obviously, the coconut scene is great. The stuff with the for, how to form a how to form a dem, uh, um a form of government's amazing. That's good. The witch stuff is good. I love how the, <laughs> the coconut stuff comes full circle at the end when like they're talking to the guy, and he's like, "Well, is it a European or an African swallow?" And he's like, "I don't know." And then <laughs> that's pretty good. I do love, like, the scene where, um, what is it, Lancelot comes in, like, murders. Oh, my someone. gosh. And they're like, they're like let, let us not dwell on the past. We're here to marry two people. <laughs> One of them is now dead. But <laughs> <laughs> I do. I love the lead up to that. When they see him in the distance and he's just running in place with that music, and then it cuts to the guys, <laughs> goes back, and he's just running in place. That oh god, good. I was cracking up laughing. I do think one of my favorite sketches is when they like come across the, the Frenchman and the castle. No, oh my gosh. Like, sir, if you. If you, your majesty and his people were to help us, we could share in the treasures of the Holy Grail. He's like, mm, he's already got one. And then you're always <laughs> <laughs> like, I told him we already got one. And they start laughing. At the very end, they finally get to the castle where the Holy Grail is, and it's the same exact guys. <laughs> <laughs> we are French. Why do you think we have such ridiculous accent? I do like it at the end. We at the end of the conversation, he's like, "Now go away, or I will taunt you a second time." <laughs> <laughs> I blow my nose at you. 
No, that movie is hilarious. Hilarious. I also love the ridiculous credits in the beginning. That was that's good. I like had forgotten all about that. Like the fake Swedish subtitles. Oh yeah. <laughs> or Scandinavian, whatever it's supposed to be. I know that it's like one of the most popular ones, but like the coconut bit is, it's just so good. Like I don't know how they thought of it, but it's hilarious. No, it's like, <laughs> the witch one got me. Well, this guy's it's sitting not there a matter like, of how he grips it. It's a matter of weight ratios. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do. I like the witch sequence as well. I love the knights who say knee and the knights who formerly said knee. And yeah, I like the song. Some shrubbery. We need, and now we need. A second shrubbery. It's slightly higher than the first one to make a tiered type structure. And then you have to go into the deepest part of the woods and cut down the tallest tree with this mackerel. <laughs> oh, gosh. I do like when they started saying knee to the old woman, and the guy's like, oh, what trouble at times when young men can just start saying knee at old women. <laughs> Uh, help, uh-huh. help, I'm being oppressed. What was the thing oh, you about the- you saw, he was oppressing me. You saw the oppression in the system. What was that thing with the holy hand grenade? All hell, the holy hand grenade. The holy hand grenade of Antioch. Oh, my gosh. I love when they meet the sorcerer, and he's, like, throwing down fireballs everywhere, and he comes like, Sir, how did you produce fire without a match or a flint? And he's like, oh, I'm a sorcerer. And what do they call you? Uh, I believe they call me Tim. <laughs> I, I truly do not know how someone could ever come up with most of the stuff, but it's it's hilarious. I know this. The, I know the joke about Tim. They like wrote this really ridiculous name, and he couldn't remember it on the spot, so he just said Tim. <laughs> And they just thought it was funny, so they kept it. I'm sure a lot of it's like that, like ad-libbing or just like jokes that just happen to make it in. I haven't seen much of the show, but I I would be interested to check it out. (laughs) There's one bit in uh, in the TV show that like made me lose it. And they're sitting down and he's like, there's a big sign in front of this door and it says, it says $5 for an argument. So, like, you're paying to have an argument. He goes in and he hands him five dollars. He's like, all right, so what do we do? He's like, we have an argument. He's like, okay, so let's have one. He's like, we're having one right now. And he's like, no, we're not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That was a good bit. Yeah, all those guys are funny. They're hilarious. Classic Terry. Good shit. So, who are you who are so wise in the way of science? <laughs> oh, let's see. I, well, I can briefly mention, I um, I started watching this mi- limited mini-series, docu-series on Netflix called Don't Fuck With Cats. Oh, yep. Um, so, for the longest time, I thought it had something to do with cats. <laughs> 
Well, it, doesn't, it does. It does in a way, but not in the way I was thinking. Chris, have you heard of this? Do you know what it's about? I've heard of it. and Isn't it about like a murder or something? Yeah, so basically it's about this guy. So what I gathered so far is it's um, it's about this group of internet activists that tried to track down the guy in this video who put some kittens into a vacuum seal bag and vacuumed the air out of it. What? So that's how it starts. And so these people are trying to find them. And then the person starts to realize that people on the internet are trying to find him down, so he starts fucking with them. And starts like doing more and more horrendous things to cats until it eventually escalates and goes beyond that. And it's pretty fucking crazy, honestly. Like, I've only seen the first episode, but it is insane. I, I, this guy gets fucked in the end some way, somehow. I don't know how it ends, but I know it builds to some pretty interesting and bizarre stuff. There are people on the internet that will literally spend 24 hours a day to fuck with you. <laughs> Yeah, these, and these people like do some in serious investigative work to like, try to find this guy. That's crazy. All just through like going through Facebook and like different shit. That's that's messed up what that guy did. Yeah, th- that's just where it starts. There's like other videos he posts where he like put a cat in a cage, doused <laughs> it in kerosene, threw a match on it. What? Yep. How can people post that type of stuff on the internet? I'm not. Sh- I'm sure it gets taken down eventually, but it's like the people who he intends to see it see it, and it's like, it's like fucked up some of the shit he does. It makes it's things like this that make me so glad I'm not super into the internet. Yeah, on the like, so at the end of the first episode, it's already escalated into where like he posts a video of him um, strapping down a person onto his bed and like stabbing them with an ice pick or something like that. Oh my fucking gosh! Did this like yeah. guy get arrested? I'm not sure how, it, but I know at some point the FBI gets involved. Good. Yep. Yeah, it's pretty crazy, dude. But like, so in the first, it gets into some crazy shit. Where like, so like at one point, there's like this animal activist group gets involved that has like their own show on like the Discovery Channel or something like that, and they get involved in it. So then they bring a ton of following, a ton of followers with them. Where at first it was like this really tiny group of like 50 people on the internet who were trying to find him. Maybe a little bit bigger than that, but not much. And then when this activist group gets involved, there's like thousands of people. And so they start posting photos, just like spamming this thing with like people who they think it could be. And this group ultimately ends up thinking that it's this one guy somewhere overseas and they all start spamming him with hate mail, and they literally get this innocent man to kill himself from the amount of bombardment that they sent him because they think he's the cat killer. That's fucked. It is insane. Like, I guess this guy was, like, struggling with depression, he, and he had his entire life. And then randomly, like, literally, like, one day out of the blue, these people think that he's his cat killer – so they start spamming his Facebook account with just, like, the nastiest shit. And, yeah, the guy, he ultimately kills himself because of it. And then these people are, people are like, whoa, like, this has gotten out of hand. And so, like, a bunch of people, like, leave the Facebook group. But the people who were in on it from the beginning still stay involved. And 
Yeah, the episode ends. The first episode ends with him killing the guy with an ice pick. So now they're like more ramped up to try to figure out who it is. I feel like there's gotta be like they should be able to like trace who sent the emails. So like there's there's gotta be some sort of like well, this repercussion guy's using, for that, right? He's using like burner account. They call, I can't remember what they call him, but there's a name for it. I'm sure you've like gotten friend requests from them all the time on the internet. They're just like these fluff accounts that are very generic names with generic pictures and not connected to anything real, really. And so this guy was like posting – or girl. I don't even know who the killer is. I haven't gotten that far yet. But they start posting videos on Facebook with this fake account. Wow. That's these are fa- These fake accounts, I should say. Yeah, and I'm sure eventually Facebook takes them down, but – yeah, it gets pretty disturbing, some of the shit this guy does. That's fucked. Yep. Yep, pretty wild, pretty insane. So I got, there's only three episodes, they're like an hour apiece, so. I, just, I, like, I, got, I crank out the last two here when I get some time. Take it away, Chris. Um, Let me get back to my list. I watched uh, Do the Right Thing this week. I bought it, and it's incredible. Really good movie. Spike Lee is freaking great at what he does. I've only I've seen a couple of his movies. I haven't seen a whole lot, but I'm really interested in seeing a lot of his stuff. There was some stuff in this that like I didn't understand why he was doing it, and I'd like some sort of explanation, but like he does a lot of shots at like angles. And I don't know if that's just the kind of thing that he's shooting for, or if there's a specific purpose as to why he's shooting them at angles of these people. But I am curious. Uh, Obviously it very much pertains to what's going on right now. Um, But so, I mean, if you get the chance to watch it, definitely do even just for the social commentary. But, but unlike I feel like unlike a movie like Black Klansman, I feel like Do the Right Thing has like I don't want to say subtlety, but like it has anger, like an aggression that seems to be like more refined than in Black Klansman, which I think is interesting. Like he seems I don't, I don't know how to phrase it like I mean, obviously do the right thing is like way earlier in his career where he's probably like more likely to do like whatever because he's not really a well-known name yet but it also like there's also a sense that like he seems to be a bit more like refined if that makes sense like it it seems like, it seems like, like, do the right thing is definitely, like, social commentary, like, for that time that obviously still applies to today. Whereas I, I feel like Black Klansman is ultimately just about today, if that makes sense. Like, do the right thing has, the way he handles it is timeless, whereas I feel like Black Klansman is more about today's time. Well, as we're learning about today's time, it's really been this way for years. 60 years. Right, but I guess I meant more like 
Donald Trump. And... <laughs> that part definitely makes it part of a certain era. I, I like from a lot. I haven't seen a lot of his movies. I've seen this one. I've seen the plot for Defy Bloods, and I've I've seen the trailer for Defy Bloods, and I've seen Black Klansman. Um, I saw He Got Game, and it seems like a lot of his movies, or at least the ones I've seen, have been based around like these stories that are incredible just by the nature of the story itself. And then you throw in his views on, you know, what's happening and it just kind of adds like a third dimension to it. But this was from what I was scrolling through his filmography and from, I didn't really look too much into like all of his movies, but this seemed to be the, one of the only movies I saw that was just about like a neighborhood. And it, it, it kind of, there wasn't a big grand plot and there wasn't these like uh, extraordinary people in there. Like all of these people are extraordinary in their own rights, but none of them are like a potential NBA star or, you know, it's not Malcolm X or it's not like, um, you know, these guys who are going back to Vietnam to find, you know, this gold that they buried or this is also you know, like anything like that. Second movie. Yeah, but I was a lot more interested in what he was doing with this one than I wasn't with any other movie that I've seen so far of his. And I don't know why I'm so interested in it. Well, first off, the colors are fantastic, and that could have been very pleasing to the eye for me. But like beyond that, I was a lot more interested in what he was doing here than what he did with what he was doing with any other movie that I've seen of his. And I don't know why, but I was. That's how it is. I I love do the right thing. I do think it's ridiculous that he delivers pizza like without a hot bag. He literally is handed a box of pizza and he walks it somewhere. Like, I mean, in his defense, it is like 101 degrees outside when this movie goes on. I like that aspect of the movie a lot. Like the idea of external forces, kind of elevating certain relations in the movie because like i think that is ultimately has something to do with what we are seeing today i um just lost my train of thought fuck i don't know i i really like this movie the the i bought the criterion one i've been wanting to watch this movie for like a long while but um i kind of just got finally pushed over the edge to buy it. Um, and it came with a booklet that was Spike Lee's personal journal throughout like the writing and the making of um, Do the Right Thing. I'm going to, I want to read that soon. Seems really interesting. But it, it, this movie is definitely deserving of all of the credentials that, they're not credentials, but all of the positive <laughs> criticism it got. Nice. I need to it's, watch it then, I guess. It's really good. It's it's going to make it into my top 100, probably. Solid. Yeah. That's what I like to hear. <sighs> well, Chris, I'll take your top 100 and I'll raise you one. This will probably also 
will be in my top 100. Uh, this is a movie from 2003, directed by Richard Linklater, uh, starring our very own Chris Duplicy. Uh This is School of Rock. I, too, watched School of Rock. I... I mean... <laughs> It's such a ridiculous concept, but it's it's so much fun. Like it's just it is just a it seems weird that this is a Richard Linklater movie, but like I was thinking the same. I had no idea. I yeah. got on Letterbox and I went to add it to my film my uh, to my list of things I watched that week, and I was like, fucking Richard Linklater. And Alyssa was like, who? And I was like, the guy who did the Before trilogy and Boyhood. She was like, yeah, it's what? It's, it's weird that like this is his movie, but. At the same time, like, I don't think anyone could play this character but Jack Black. Like, he is perfect. Oh, gosh, yeah. And just, like, you know, his, uh, the noises that he makes to play, to play instruments, like, vocally, him singing songs, like, him being a really terrible leader, but also, like, kind of a good one at the same time, like, only Jack Black could have pulled this off. I love, like, I think all the, the children are, like, pretty good. Uh, I love, like, the live performances. I think that's pretty cool. Uh, uh, Don Cusack is pretty good in this. I hate Sarah Silverman still. <laughs> yep. She was in the movie for, like, two minutes. Max. Dude, she's the worst. <laughs> I do like how that guy flips the script. She's always telling him to stand out to people, and then she's the one he stands up to. Fuck you, Sarah. <laughs> uh, I think it, the movie's hilarious. It's just a it's a good way to spend one hour and 50 minutes. Solid. Can't confirm. Do you want me to go, or do you Is want to me? save yours? Is it me? If you want to. I mean, like, I can go if you want to save You want, You don't have anything to say about school or Chris? I mean, you kind of said it all. Like, as far as School of Rock goes, my opinion on it is it's it's good. I I I personally like Tenacious D better. If I had to pick a Jack Black rock and roll movie, I just I want to know how you can watch School of Rock or Tenacious D and see like a the physical looks, b. The mannerisms and B just and C just his way of speaking and not think that you are also Jack Black. Because I'm not him. I'm a I'm a completely different person. No no no. But I don't think you heard what I said. Uh, the way that you look, <laughs> the mannerisms, and the way that you speak are you're you are Jack Black. Oh, I don't understand why people think that. I will I will I will say physically. There are some similarities between me and him. I'm just like, but I would I say mannerism-wise, I'm a, I'm a completely different guy. I'm running you off don't with my see, own engine like, here. You don't see Jack Black like scatting while this guy is playing guitar, and you don't think to yourself like, man, I I have probably done that before. I mean, everybody has done that before. No, but like you specifically. I've seen okay, just because <laughs> I look like him and I do it sometimes, like. I feel like that's something that everybody does. You do that. I've seen you do that once or twice. I don't think you have. Well, 
it's time to hook the GoPro to my chest and follow you around. Well, because if I did it and looked like you, then I would expect you to say that you thought I was Jack Black. <laughs> no, you wouldn't. <laughs> Trust me when I say having been the, the subject of this ridicule forever, you would not. You would not expect that or want it. I think eventually you just need to accept it. I, I Like I said, I will accept that there are some similarities between me and Jack Black. There are similarities. I physically look like him. You know, uh, uh, physically I can act like him sometimes. Sometimes. You have and the same kind of uh, eccentric qualities. I'm not that eccentric. I don't know, Chris. Jack Black's an or eccentric. Jack. I'm not an eccentric. I'm an average Joe. I'm like a I'm like a, a, a an everybody loves Raymond type. You're not an everyone loves Raymond type. I'm Ray Romano. You're nothing like Ray Romano. Well, that's just where me and you beg to differ. Marie! Hey Marie! You don't sound anything like me there. Oh, I can do this. Right, give me a second. That was on the spot. I can do a Ray Romano accent. Okay, go ahead. Hey, Marie, what are you doing? That's better. That's pretty yeah, good. Yeah, no, if you give me a second, I can do Ray Romano. Let's get a little, let's get a little better. You give me time. I'll, I'll, I'll be pumping out some Ray stuff very soon. Keep going with it. I don't know what, I, what to say. Do your whole next review as Ray Romano. <laughs> Oh, so this movie, you know, I thought it was pretty good, but you know, I don't know what to say. Like, like, you know, aesthetically pleasing, I guess, but there's not a whole lot going on there. That's pretty good. Yeah. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. That is definitely the mammoth from Ice Age. <laughs> Forgot he was the mammoth from Ice Age. <laughs> That's a movie I gotta watch again. I fell asleep watching it the other night, actually. And you're not going to review it here? I fell asleep. What do you want me to say? I didn't make it very far in, either. Despicable. I know, but I did watch Inside Out. Ugh. Love it. Well, I was on the tail end of a mushroom trip, so it was kind of of entertaining. Dude, it's a great movie, even without mushrooms. Well, you should watch it with mushrooms. <laughs> you look like I'd have a fucking panic attack. No, it's just very brightly colored. Yeah, it is. You can see the textures in it. I imagine that would be a great time. Yeah, you can. Because I didn't realize how, like, pixelated and, like, like, the outlines of all the characters, like, had this glow to it. I'm not sure if that was the movie or the mushrooms, but it was kind of cool. Hmm. <laughs> Um, but I don't mind Inside Out. I think it's kind of funny. I like the voice acting in it. Like, I think they're pretty spot on with Amy Poehler as Joy, Mindy Kaling as Disgust, uh, Louis Black as Anger, Bill Hader as Fear. I think those are all pretty good choices. Plus Phyllis Smith as Sadness. Um, I think sometimes, like, where the movie gets bogged down is how literal they take it. Um, so there's some moments that just kind of don't really make sense. Like, story-wise, I get what they're going for, but then, like, trying to stick to the concept they've established and the literalness behind it, sometimes it doesn't really work. 
like when Hockey Island goes down and all of a sudden she like can't remember how to skate or shoot a stick, like shoot a puck. Like if anything, it should just be like, like oh, because it's her personality, so it should just be like, yeah, I'm just not really interested in hockey anymore. Instead of being like, oh, I don't know how to skate. Ah, hmm. doesn't really make any sense. No, yeah, but it makes it more tragic that way. I guess. And you got to think they're not making this movie for a 20, 25, 26-year-old kid who's watching it on Mushrooms in Colorado. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> who they should be considering. Uh. Um, but aside from that, I still like it. I think it's still kind of a fun movie. It's got some funny moments to it. Um, I like the coloring in it. I kind of like the ending where they realize that like said like your emotions are not or your memories are not super cut and dry that they're mixed with different emotions like i kind of like that at the end you know it's a solid you know it's a solid way to spend the tail end of a mushroom trip <laughs> i want to see the six-year-old that's tripping on mushrooms that's like wait a second she would still know how to skate <laughs> i also want to see the six-year-old tripping on mushrooms oh shit Whoa, I look at the glow on the outside of their body. Is that pixelated <laughs> or is that is that just a movie? <laughs> Are you aware that mushrooms grow on poop? Yes. Alright. But not the ones I had. Well, that's a conversation for a different day. It sure is. Anyways. <laughs> I uh I watched um to keep it in the same vein of, like, you know, uppity, positive movies, um, I watched 12 Angry Men. It's nice. <laughs> um, dude, freaking awesome movie. Right? It's amazing. It is really good. And I thought I would be annoyed of them not being able to leave the room, but I wasn't at all. It's so gripping. Yeah, it is. Like, like there, the, there were a couple moments where I was like, oh, this is convenient. But, like, beyond that... It was a good it was a great movie. The 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 only part that really I was like, "Oh, come on. Why would you do that?" is when they're talking about that woman wearing the glasses. Mhm. I was like, "I get oh, it." Yeah, yeah. Like I get it. It just seems like convenient to bring up right now. Like we've had these established like they spent a whole portion of time establishing the facts in the very beginning, and I feel like if they stuck to those throughout the entirety of the movie, it would have been so much better than just like if I recall right, she was wearing glasses and she had dots on the side of her nose. And I was like, oh, fuck, this is how they're going to convert this guy. I wanted him to be some sort of like poking holes in his logic or something. I don't know. I get it. You know, and it doesn't like diminish the quality of the movie for me. It definitely, if I had to say if this was the best movie of the week I watched, I probably wouldn't. I'd say Do the Right Thing was better. But any other week, this would have been number one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12 Angry Men's amazing. It is really friggin' good. And, like, I, th- I normally don't watch black and white movies because they – the stories themselves are interesting, but I, I'm from a time where I really enjoy color in movies. So I watch black and You're white movies. from a time. Yeah. So I watch this one. I watch black and white movies, and sometimes it's just, like, not as interesting to me. But this one, it was no problem at all. And like, like with Do the Right Thing, they had, like, the the showing of how hot things were. 
very successfully done. Like you could see, and they had the same kind of effect that it was like raising the the uh, intensity of their actions, and like ra- like they all just wanted to get out of there, except for the one guy who seemed to be the only person in the beginning who had any sympathy at all. Yep, it's a great movie. I love it. I do too. Uh, well, with the last movie, I will mention, uh, unlike Twelve Angry Men. Uh, this is a movie that's in color. Uh, it's from this year. Uh, it's definitely in my top films of the year so far. Uh, directed by Veronica Friends and Severin Fiala. This is uh, The Lodge. And I I really liked it. What's it called? The Lodge. Oh, The Lodge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I... I thought this was uh, a very fascinating movie. And, like, from the beginning, I really thought I was going to hate it. But I think it's wonderfully shot. I I think Riley Keough is amazing in this movie. Uh, I love the setting. I I was a little skeptical about, like, the whole, whole... I'm from a, a cult background, but I think it really works. I love the whole thing with, like, Alicia Silverstone and their mother. And I, I would say, I guess, my only complaint is that I wish it was a bit more ambiguous. I think they kind of explain too much, and that kind of... I think the movie sets itself up to be able to see things one way or another. I think they answer too many questions to the point where it really can only be seen one way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they definitely, I feel like it's like the last like 15 minutes where they just really spill their guts on the table. It's kind of yeah, like and like kind of piece things together for you and are like, hey, if you don't get it, don't don't worry about it because literally here it is right here. But like, I do love like the idea of being trapped in purgatory and like I've not seen Goodnight Mommy but I've heard that those kids are also assholes in that movie and these kids also really suck if it means anything I actually like Goodnight Mommy more than I like The Lodge I've been meaning to watch it I just I haven't gotten there it's on Shutter. I saw so oh okay cool but yeah, I I really liked this movie. I thought, uh, I thought yeah, Riley Keough is always really good. But for whatever reason, like, I guess it must be in her contracts. But like, she always has to be naked for some reason. But because it's naked and everything, Matt Dillon cuts her tits off in House of Jackal. Oh shit, that's right. The dark. I forgot about that. I feel like she's naked in American Honey, too. Is she naked in um, Under the Silver Lake? Uh, I mean, yes, but I don't think you see anything. Okay. It's like, cool. I'm pretty sure she's naked. <laughs> she's really, I think the kids are also pretty good. I really don't like that kid in It, but I think he's good in this. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, there's a lot of snowy imagery that I really liked. 
that's what I like the most about it, just the setting. I think the setting is really good. Um, I, I didn't think I would like that she was part of a cult, but I do kind of like how that is used. Like these kids fucking breaking her psyche, basically? Yeah. Like, I'm, and I also kind of like how while these kids are assholes, you do kind of understand why they're doing it. Even though, like, they're still dickheads, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's on Google right now. I would strongly recommend. I clicked on... I looked up The Lodge, and it says that it has four credited directors. Okay. Or two credit directors. Yes. Yes. But it says that they're separate. Oh, never mind. They're structuring it weird. Never mind. Forget I said anything, you guys. <laughs> what a rascal. Um, Last thing I watched this week, I watched Where the Wild Things Are, directed by Spike Jones. Um, Oddly, I got a lot of vibes that I got from Wendy, believe it or not. Both great movies. Um, Makes sense. Where the Wild Things Are seems like the inverse of Wendy, where Wendy is... Take it away, Wendy! Uh, it's gonna be a bombay ride. Uh, Wendy is about like the need to like maintain your innocence in childhood, whereas you know where the wild things are is like the need to grow up. Um, so I think that's like an interesting duality between the two. Uh, I think there's a lot of like similar locations, like like some sandy areas, some water, like some scenes that take place on like the ocean front. Sandy, um, sandy areas and water. Yep, pretty similar. They even look kind of the same. I think I saw a similar aesthetic this week. Um, uh, the Scorpion King. Yeah, sand, water, sand, water. exactly. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, the the camera movements feel the same. Like, I think what both of them, what I like about both movies is the score. I think the scores are incredible, and I think. While the scores are incredible, I think in some point, in some parts, it elevates the movie to be better than what I think it actually is. Um, there are moments in where the wild things are that I like a lot, but I think, I think it's about fifteen to twenty minutes too long, honestly. Like Wendy was way too long, and where the wild things are is too long. I think it needs to be at like an hour twenty something, and that's like a. The, the, that's like a sweet spot for that. Um, but yeah, I don't mind. I don't mind it. Uh, it's, I think it's one of those things like I'll probably watch every now and then with you know a lot of time in between. Just always, always sort of be constantly reevaluating it. But I do think sometimes it's just too long. Like, some things seem so belabored and drawn out, like, and unnecessary. But there are things I like. I like James Gandolfini as one of the voice actors. Paul Dano's in there. Chris Cooper. So I think it's got some great voice acting. Um, some great acting in general. It's mostly just story-wise. Sometimes it gets a bit long. But yeah, let's, Chris, take her home. Um, last thing I watched. Shit, that actually might be it. 
I might be done, guys. Maybe 100% positive before I say so. Scorpion King, Star is Born, School of Rock, Mummy Returns, 12 Angry Men, Mummy, Do the Right Thing, Grown Ups 2, Bourbon, Grown Ups. Yep, I'm done. Well, so here you go. Zach, anything else for you? Um, Briefly, I rewatched Uncut Gems, went up to a 5. Oh, nice. <laughs> Uh, so next week are we doing Defy Bloods? Is it going to be out? Yeah, Netflix comes on Netflix this Friday, I believe. The twelfth. Works for me. Yeah, I want to see it. I do too. Sweet, and then the week after, what, should we do Shirley from Hulu? Or, and hear me out, The King of Staten Island. No. No. Is that have the... you seen have you seen the runtime on that? No. It's two and a half hours. And I'm down with it. Is that the Seth Rogen movie? It's no. the Pete Davidson movie. What's that? I have no idea what this is. It's, it's another bloated comedy from Judd Apatow with people that aren't that funny. It's two hours, seventeen minutes, and it's about it's semi autobiographical about this guy whose dad was a firefighter and he died in a fire or something, and then it's about him coming to terms with that and like you're uh, you're missing the key thing in this movie is that it stars Pete Davidson. Pete yeah, I don't really funny. care about I don't really care about that guy. Pete Davidson's funny, dude. I really don't it's want to watch It's got Bill Burr in it. That's, that's your guy though. I like Bill, Bill Burr, but I'm not I am not interested in watching another two-hour and 20-minute comedy that's not that funny from Judd Apatow. But it's say, s- that sounds like knocked up all over again. But it's got Steve Buscemi in it, too. You can keep naming the people that are in it all day. I don't care. I don't want to see it. What about Dominic of- Lombardozzi? Speaking of outrageous runtimes, have you guys heard of the rumored tenant runtime? Three hours? Three hours and 15 minutes. Yep. What's up with these guys making these long-ass movies? That's insane, dude. I don't know if I want to sit in a theater for that long. Are you kidding uh, me? I'm going to. I would love to sit in a the theater that long. This for a Christopher Nolan movie, I'm, a, I'm in. This screams 4K home release watch at home. <laughs> I can't wait for Tenet. Because I know he's going to captivate me for three hours and 15 minutes. Hey, John David Washington said it's going to change filmmaking for the next 15 years, so. That's what I'm talking about. I highly doubt that for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, did you guys see that they released some plot information about Avatar 2? No. I've seen stills from the set. Yeah, they released the plot info. Jimmy C. back in action. It's, uh, so it's Jake Sully and... (laughs) His wife or whatever, whatever her name is. Jake Sully? Yeah. Sully. Don't they say – well, oh, they, well, she says Sully. Yeah, you're right. Uh, so Jake Sully and his wife, like they have a kid, but where they live is in danger. So they trek across Pandora to find the new home, and a lot of it takes place underwater. That is – oh, my gosh. That's what I've been waiting for. 
That's what I've been waiting for this whole entire time. Yeah, like, I watched the first one, and like you know that part where he jumps off the cliff and that Black Panther thing is coming after him. I'd like I'd be more scared of what's in the water because I have no idea what's in there. Oh my gosh! Yeah, dude, so it's cool. mostly it's mostly underwater this one. And this is supposed to be the quote unquote glassesless 3D. Yep, supposedly. This this movie's gonna make ten billion dollars. <laughs> be insane! <laughs> I can't wait. Dude, I hope so. Like, I, I really want this to be a huge success. Uh, it's going to be a success. It's going to be my number one movie of whatever year it comes out. I'm calling it right now. I can't Number wait. one of the 2020s. The crazy thing about it is, is that, like, the plot's not crazy cool. It's very simple. It's, it's so, all of, it's all about like so there's the a lot. Of, there's like yeah, it's simple enough that you can just go wild with the visuals. And like they spent enough time away from Avatar 1 to create Avatar 2 where you're you've you're been out of Avatar long enough to where a reintroduction to the same shit wouldn't feel like you're not getting enough, you know? I'd like to rewatch Avatar at some point. Me too. Gosh, that's going to be so cool. Majority of it takes place underwater. That's what I heard, yeah. Most of it takes in or, in or around water. That's going to be the coolest thing about the entire movie. Yep, I can't. Didn't they, like, reinvent cameras so they could film underwater? Yep. Fuck yeah, dude. Give me some more floating rocks. It's like, I just cannot imagine. I'm, I'm so pumped because I cannot imagine what... Disney World is going to be like after they release all of these Avatar movies. Like, once it becomes a ginormous franchise like Marvel, Avatar World, dude. Think I was say, the world of Pandora might become its own little theme park. I would go strictly for that. I would go to Harry Potter World and then jump on over to Avatar World and I would just, like... <laughs> Chris, Avatar World there. has a name. It's called Pandora. No, 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 no. It's Avatar <laughs> World. <laughs> Yeah, can I have a ticket for Avatar World? Whatever, dude. It's going to be so cool, and I'm pumped. I just am not quite a firm believer in uh, Glasses 4D, or Glasses of 3D yet. Well, let me know when you wake up with Jimmy C punching you in the face. <laughs> Prove me wrong, Jimmy C. This is your opportunity. Comes out next year? I don't know. Who knows? Hopefully Corona's done by this, because I don't want this to be an on-demand type experience. You listen to me, COVID-19. You best not ruin my Avatar movie. <laughs> <laughs> what, was the, what, was the, what was the number you guys said? You thought it was going to break $3 billion? Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of money. Sure how, much did, how much did Endgame make? Two something. Yeah, two point eight something maybe. Can't remember the exact number. But Avatar two will shatter it. Mark my words. Gosh, that's so much money. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah, can't I wait. Can't, I can't imagine it breaking three billion dollars. Get ready. Whoa. Get ready. It's gonna right. be crazy. All right. right. Well, thank you for downloading. Thank you for listening to another episode of Film and Loathing. Uh, Come back next week for our review of Spike Lee's Defy Bloods, which will be coming out on Netflix this Friday. 
Until next week, keep staying safe out there. Bye-bye.